Welcome to the podcast that's dedicated to making you a faster cyclist, the Ask a Cycling Coach podcast presented by Trainer Road. We have a different group here in studio with us right now. So I'm going to run actually on this side and kind of go around. First, we have our CEO, Nate Pearson. Hello. Uh, myself, Coach Jonathan Lee, of course. And then we have uh, one of our product managers here at Trainer Road, but also Team Cliff Bar Racing's Pete Morris. Howdy, guys. Good to have you, Pete. Yeah, I love being here. It's the best. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And an extra special guest, repeat guest on the podcast. You have been on it before. We're super excited to have you here. Uh, Lee McCormick from Lee Likes Bikes. How's it going, man? Awesome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you are the MTB skills instructor that we all need all the time, <laughs> basically, uh, if I'm to introduce you. Uh, but you're also like, you're more than that because you've, you've, you've invented products, you're, you're a thinker, you're, you're, you're also, I consider you my shred shaman as well. Um, <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> and if you can join us on YouTube, which you can, usually it's every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific, but it's Wednesday this time because uh, we're taking advantage of Lee while we have him here. We're having him jump into the studio. Uh, but you can join in on YouTube, so you could have seen Lee doing praying hands there when I said shred shaman and other great things. <laughs> Threw you a namaste. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, uh, but we are going to cover the, some of the cycling questions that you submitted in an indirect way today, because uh, we get uh, a good amount of questions on bike handling, not just how do I put out more watts, but you know how do I control myself in other situations? Yeah, utilize those watts, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to have a discussion on, on, on skills, bike handling, and we've been doing a clinic with you, Nate, you for the past two days in a row, Pete and I joined yesterday. Mm -hmm. And, uh, of course I went through the clinic with you before and yesterday was just as impactful, if not more impactful than the first time, even just mm -hmm. to go through the, and we went through a lot of similar things. We went through different things as well, but even from the similar stuff, I, I gleaned a lot of info. So I'm excited. Uh, it's going to be great. Uh, first <coughs> things first though, some congrats are in order. First of all, uh, and we're going to go through Leadville cause I, just did that one. So we'll go through that. But Rose Grant won Leadville, which is really impressive. I think she did like a 730, something like that. Fast yeah, time. We sponsor her. I know, of course. Yeah. <laughs> we are sponsors of the Stan's Pivot team presented by uh, Maxis Tires. Pretty awesome stuff. Uh, Rose really wanted to, she's the current marathon champion. So like with that team, the Palmares this year is insane. Like the amount of, of wins we covered that last week. Now just add a, add a title for, for Leadville on there. Then Chloe Woodruff, I believe got sixth at the world cup in Lenzer high to Switzerland. Mm -hmm. Amazing job. Uh, really awesome to see. And she was present all the time, like, like bridging up from groups and racing really aggressively. And I yeah, got go to work with her years ago. Oh yeah. Yeah. And do some skills work. And as you can imagine, she's, she's quite the athlete. She's amazing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We, we did one lap at, um, at the nationals XCO course up in winter park this year. And I had done a couple laps. Uh, it was, and then it was her, uh, I believe it was Ryan Standish perhaps, or no, Alexi Vermeulen, uh, who is a, uh, ex roadie and now mountain biker. And then Keegan Swenson, I had done it before and I ripped through it darn near race pace, you know, and then it was just a train and she just like holds right in. Yeah. Like she is a better technical rider than many, many, many of the men out there, like many of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, and many of them. Yes. <laughs> That's the thing that I'm getting at. Like it's five many. Yes. She's, pr I would say That's that she, I would say that she's ranking like top five in the, in the men's field. She has like, um, and it's, it's tricky because she's a smaller, she's really small. She's not very tall. So then as a result, you kind of deal with always some strange things with bike fit, right? Lee, like, yeah, it's, it's hard to get something that fits correctly mm -hmm. and you don't, they don't, the small riders don't have massive range of motion. Mm -hmm. So they have to ride with a different style. Yeah. Can, I, can I share a, a story? Please, yeah. yeah. So we were out. So we're work, here for. We were working in Prescott, and uh, 
and um, we were working on drops, right? Um, but not like big huck drop, like a like more like a uh, a ledge, a steep big ledge that like led into a, a corner. Uh-huh. And so in the beginning, everybody in the group was just really having a hard time. Even like I roll up and I'm like, okay, guys, this is what we're gonna ride, and most everybody's like. Really, you know. But then I do my spiel, and then everybody's riding it. And um, I remember the moment when Chloe came up on it, and she hadn't quite executed it yet. And her, I saw her eyes go to the next corner, <laughs> and she was planning the corner, and then she executed the drop perfectly. And I was yeah. like, "That's mastery right there! Like that's the moment." Yeah. Right. She was executing move A while she was planning move B. I thought that was really cool. That's super interesting that you say that. I was looking through just this morning through photos that we had of national championships, uh, actually for the feature (laughs) image that you can see on YouTube for this one. Uh, And we, I ended up using a a picture of Keegan on this one because it fit the aspect ratio. (laughs) But there's this, there are a number of pictures of Chloe. She does such a good job of looking ahead. Mm When she's, if you look like even on her Instagram, go to her Instagram, look up Chloe Woodruff and you look at a lot of the stuff when she's in something, she's always like, she's to the next <coughs> thing. She does a really good job of it. That's a really huge key to riding safely, smoothly. And of course, quickly. Yeah. Huge. And on the road too, right? Yeah. Look into the turn you're going to go to. Mm-hmm. Totally. And it's totally. a reason we should all have um, a, a Yamaha R1 1000 CEC <laughs> superbike because then you have to look like 10 miles ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point, right? Um, so congrats to them. And then Keegan is at Breck Epic right now, and I believe he won stages one through three. I know he won stages one and two. I couldn't really find results for stage three yesterday. But yeah, he, he did win He that, got I it. Think. It's really impressive. So, um, so hopefully he can clean sweep that one. Uh, that crazy. would be cool. And uh, also, uh, good luck to all the the listeners right now, podcast listeners who are racing Breck Epic, because there are many of them. So uh, that looks like a really tough race. Yeah, I heard it was a tough day, too. It was like lots of rain and muddy. Day one was like a ton of rain. Then yesterday, they crossed the Continental Divide twice. Uh, They climbed 7,000 feet in, I think, like 30 or 40 miles. And they ended up, you know, going through snow fields, the whole stuff. It's it's an adventure, man. Mm. Um, So Leadville, let's get into that. Uh, First things first... Thank you to so many people that we saw up there. Uh, it was really cool. Brandon, our product manager, also came with me. Chad and his fiance Amaret, uh, they were up there, and there were so many Trainer Road users, so many podcast listeners, everything else. It was so cool to meet all of you, whether it was on course, uh, whether you were cheering on the side of the course, which is great, handing me cold towels or water or whatever else. That was awesome. Uh, but then also just chatting with you all, uh, swapping poles, the whole thing. It was pretty great. Uh, so... Uh, Nate, I'm going to share some, just some quick, uh, summary of it. And then I want you to critique the performance. Uh, Cause I think you have some opinions on this one. You've said that you were going to hold it for the podcast a few times. So, uh, so I did an eight hour, 14 minute time. Uh, that's roughly 12 mile, uh, 12.1 miles an hour, uh, average, right? Uh, for those that, and if you want like specifics on the exact route of Leadville, uh, for those that, that are familiar with it or not. Um, I'm going to pull that up right now. So basically it's, it's, it's known for having really big, long climbs, which it absolutely does. Uh, but they're extremely steep, uh, is the other thing. Uh, but basically, uh, this one, it's 104 miles is what I ended up doing. And it was just under 12,500 feet of climbing. Okay. Chain ring. Mm-hmm. You had Eagle. What was your front uh, size chain ring? 32. <clears throat> when people, you're not a normal person. Yeah. When people are debating. 
Yeah. Should they have a 32 or a 30 or even a 28? 28. 28. 20, right? Everyone was walking. Yeah. yeah, full on 28. Yes. Yeah. There were like, it's it's funny when there were very few times when I was pedaling and felt spun out. Like, I actually don't even know if there was a single time. So you did an 814 and you didn't need a 32. No way. On yeah. the flat sections. Because that's what you always hear about in the forums. Yeah, you're going to spin out. Okay. Let's just settle this right now. 28. So if you're going eight hours, <laughs> go with 30. Yeah, sure. And then anything, if you're slower than eight hours, 28. Yeah. I mean, honestly, the, the biggest mm-hmm. thing is pick your gearing for the crucial times and those climbs. So Columbine, and first of all, Columbine, everyone makes a really big deal about Columbine. And I get it because you go up to 12,600 feet. That's really that's really high mm-hmm. uh, for those that don't know. That's quite <laughs> that's high. high. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you, you don't have much. Uh, when you push on the pedals, just not a whole lot happens when you're up that high, right? I remember thinking at one point, I'm like, I'm moving. And then like, I glanced down at the watch and I'm like, I'm doing 180 Watts, which for me, that's, you know, a threshold around three Oh five. It's not very much. Right. So, uh, Columbine's tough. Don't get me wrong. And it is tough when you get up to the top, it gets steeper. Uh, but pipeline is just extremely hard. Like that one is way harder because it's way steeper. And then psychologically speaking, it's really tough. Because were, you, were you able to just do the whole thing feet up? Yeah. So I had to walk for about five feet on both climbs. And that was uh, due to uh, just people in front, you know, mm. um, so, so of walking and then, you know, get back on, you could carry on, but yeah, you could carry on. I, I could with the 3250, you know, I could, I could spin up, but you have to plan your gearing for those moments and you have to think worst case scenario because you were going to feel so far from ideal. Like, I don't care what you can climb when you're fresh. Mm-hmm. I don't care what you can climb in a one to two hour ride. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're seven hours, six hours into your ride it's and, different. <laughs> and you're at elevation, <laughs> then it's totally different. What I hear about on forums and stuff is that people are concerned that like, so they, they're like, yeah, I need a lot of gear for these climbs, but they're concerned that in the packs on the flats, they're going to be going 38 miles per hour and you're yeah. going to somehow get dropped. Oh, it, that's my second point that I really want to make. Like hmm. everyone feels like they have to be in a group, right? And they kill themselves to bridge up to a group. In my mind, sit up and wait for a group because it, it's not the day to try to bridge and do hard efforts unless you're a crazy athlete and you're really, really good and you know you're well within yourself. That's one thing. Mm-hmm. But like I was with a group for, we came down power line and then it's like a long stretch all the way until Columbine. It has some climbing toward the end when you get closer to that. And some guy was like, let's, you know, let's do a pace line. Let's work together. And I was like, all right. So we started working together and I was like, this dude's pushing like 330 Watts right now. Like there's, this is ridiculous. Hmm. And in that moment, I was like, we'll see you guys later. I'm just going to cruise by myself. It's much better to cruise by yourself in the wind solo within yourself than to be absolutely blowing yourself up to catch to a group where you're probably going to blow yourself up again. Hmm. And the reason I say that is because the groups are far from like what you have in a road race. Like the groups in a road race, a lot of the time, the pace, when you sit in the pace is really consistent. Mm -hmm. It's very rare that it's like extremely surgy, but not with these folks because they don't, they aren't used to riding in a group. So they get to the front and they're like, I'm on the tour de France. I've seen this before. Right. And what I have to do is go as hard as I can. And there's going to be people on the side cheering smoke bombs. I'm going to get a yellow Jersey, right? That's like in their mind. Like they're at the front of a, of a group of cyclists. (laughs) So they do that and then they just hammer it. And it just, so these little groups that you see, they are not the, the, safe harbors of efficiency that you hope they are. Mm-hmm. What they really are is a spot of, or a group of riders that, that are riding inefficiently. So you it, don't want to be with that. If you're on the road and it's flat and you're pulling a pace line and when you're in the pack, in the draft, you're making a hundred units of power. What, how many units of power would you generally make when it's your pull? Like how much would you 
go if, up. Yeah, so like Pete, you can probably thirty or forty percent more. So it's not like nine day too but, much. But well, the interesting thing is, if hard. I'm in the group, it's hard, okay. <laughs> if I'm in the group, <laughs> yeah. if I'm in the group, it doesn't feel like an acceleration though. Right mm-hmm. when Pete goes to the front and it's his turn, or when you go to the front, it doesn't feel like an acceleration. You're just putting out more because you're pushing more wind. Right. But at the same time, the 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 speed of the group is like relative, or the effort of the group is relative. I think too at Leadville. So like when you're in a group like that, there's like two kind of phases of the group. One is the the single file line, mm-hmm. and that's when you're you're hauling pretty fast, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the one where it can get pretty dangerous for efficiency mm-hmm. uh, because then a, an acceleration happens and someone opens a gap and they accelerate. And then this like accordion mm-hmm. thing happens where there's more acceleration. The nice one on the road is when it's fanned out yeah. and you're five, 10 across and you're all in this like Peloton, then it's so easy. Yes. That's, even, that's a good sign that you know it's easy. And that's, I think that's where if you could get those kind of pods, like sure. 30 mm-hmm. riders mm-hmm. floating across uh, the dirt together, yeah. it would be a lot, I think. People would save a lot more energy that way. I still go pretty fast. I think mountain bikers understand or don't understand quite as well how to manage a pace over rolling terrain too. Mm -hmm. That's one thing that like, you know, Pete, when I'm riding with you or, you know, even like at cliff camp, right? Mm -hmm. Really fast pro racer guys, you jump in when we're going over rolling terrain, the effort is more, is is modulated. You know, they are consistent, right? Considering. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's not like they, they get to a hill and they just jam and they go really hard. And I think for a lot of riders, that's really difficult to do. It's so easy for us to put out more wattage when the hill forces it upon us. Mm-hmm. And then it's much harder for us to put, to proactively put that down when the, mm-hmm. when we're going slightly downhill, something like that, but really good groups, you'll notice that the, the mm-hmm. wattage is more or less consistent. The speed will vary over rolling terrain. Mm-hmm. They don't keep it perfectly consistent unless they're trying to, you know, shoot people out the back. Yeah. And one of the things is you'll notice, like we always ride two abreast, mm-hmm. um, and a Two, two people on the front makes a way everything is much easier and it kind of removes a bunch of like intricacies of pack dynamics. Mm-hmm. So that makes a smoother ride for everybody. Everybody works a little less actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and so two breath, two abreast, I don't think we can change the way people ride Leadville, but yeah. um, ride two abreast and ride two back from that. And it's a way easier ride for everyone involved. Yeah. Yeah. Completely agree. Um, some other notable things on that. So, uh, first of all, on the data points, I, I did two, I, I wanted to stick, I figured I'd be somewhere around 180, uh, 187, I think normalized power is what it said, but I was 180 average power, 209 normalized power, uh, for the eight hours. That was about 0.7 ish IF, um, roughly where I'm at there. And it was 380 TSS. It's always tricky to calculate though, because you know, when you're at elevation yeah. that high, it's rough because your effective threshold, what you can actually put out is so much lower. Mm-hmm. Like I figure my threshold up there was much closer, like 265, uh, you know, at high or points even on that, less, right? at high points on that course, it was closer to 240, 230. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a whole lot lower. I read that at 14,000 feet, there's 25% less oxygen yeah. than here. Well, not here, but than sea level. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. We're at about 5,000 feet right here. And it was about 5,300 kilojoules um, that I ended up uh, taking in on that. Um, So some notable things. We went up the day before. So with elevation, common thing, it's like go up the day of or two to three weeks. And that should give you two to three weeks. You're used to it. Mm -hmm. At that point, maybe your blood oxygen saturation levels, you know, have normalized again and you're back to normal, that sort of a thing. We went up the day before. We flew in. We got the rental cars. We went to bike shops, did that sort of thing to get CO2s, like the little stuff we needed. And then we drove straight up to Leadville. Uh, We drove to Leadville. Then after that, we drove back to Golden to stay there. 
big day. You flew out of Reno at 6 a.m. And yeah, we flew out of Reno at 6 a.m. So that's a 3 a.m. wake up call, basically. So we flew out at 6 a.m. And then after we flew out at 6 a.m., we ended up getting back to the house at around, I think, 6 or 7 p.m. And then at that point, we had to build bikes. So mm. we built our bikes and then it's ideal, right? some dinner. Yeah. <laughs> You're describing the ideal like prep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, going in and then we had another 3 a.m. wake up call, right? Uh, because we had to drive up. First of all, the traffic was no issue whatsoever getting into Leadville. I know people have talked about that before and I-70 has really bad traffic. I mean, Lee, you're from that region, so you know. Yeah, it can be really bad. Um, the, the day on Friday, it was stop and go almost the whole way up to Leadville, like in, in, in a lot of sections. But it, that morning, it was totally fine. We were just able to drive right in, find parking, no issue. But I don't think it was ideal. If I could do that again. You don't think so? No, I don't think so. <laughs> if I could do it again, and we'd fly in Thursday, pick up the numbers on Thursday. And then Friday would just be like a full on, practically a spa day, right? What just if you like had a swan year to do it all on Friday for you? That would be amazing. But you can't I'll have go. someone else pick up your packet, <laughs> right? No, you have to be you. Oh. Yeah. yeah. I always dislike Although, that. Although the thing is, it's not completely that way. Like if you're a pro race team. Yeah, your, your director the, picks the it up. The director picks it up, I right? So, I, I've always... Uh, I feel like this it would help be people so much, but they, they, what they don't want to do is have someone else race for you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I feel like someone could always just like, did you have a wristband? Yeah. But they could, someone could but always, they, they, yeah, yeah, you could get yeah. around it so yeah, easily. Totally. I don't want to look. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. You, you smart people can figure out how to get a wristband <laughs> from one person's wrist <laughs> yeah. to another person's wrist. Yeah, exactly. Uh, let, yeah. It would be a race much series, Anyone can pick up the packet. There we go. I like that. Go. Um, so yeah, I feel like that was better. Um, the other thing, the front corrals, I was able to just slot right in. I was in the silver corrals. So there's gold, silver, then many other colors, like many rainbows, basically. I can't keep it all straight. Right. And it goes back. All from those there. people behind me. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm not no, worried no, about no, those no. people. <laughs> no, no. Don't all take it that civilians way. civilians behind <laughs> you. <laughs> oh, come on. No. It's just, I, I don't know which colors are behind. That's, that's all I'm getting at. Um, you don't concern yourself with such <laughs> Gosh. All right. <laughs> moving on. Okay. They, it's it's really tough if you show up like we showed up at like five fifty, and then the race started at six thirty, and by the time you know we got out of the car, of course put the 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 anvil amp human lotion all over ourselves and basically bathed in it right, um, and then got everything ready. I, we got down to the start line at like 6.15, 6.20, right? Brandon's Brandon's story is a little bit different than yours, but there was not enough time for Brandon to do all the things he wanted to do that morning. Brandon was a little panicked, yeah. Um, <laughs> I feel like I was pretty calm and got in. But the thing is, when Brandon, he was in the, I think, the Red Corral. Yeah, Red. When he One filtered into the red, red Corral, it was like, there's only room at the very back, and you better squeeze in. But for, in the Silver Corral, mm. it was like, come on in, plenty <clears> of room. It was like a spaced out area. So, elite section. Well, yeah, elite like section. so that, but that's just the thing. Like, if you are in a further back corral, you should plan on getting there earlier. Yeah, um, because basically, if you're at the back of if your, if you corral, want to be at the front of the corral, yep. If you're at the back of your corral, you are going to effectively be in the next corral behind you. That's you know once it goes because they don't have wave starts or anything like that. What kind of warm up do you do for like an eight hour race? None, none, none. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's no point. Um, and, and and here's the main reason why there's no point to warm up for Leadville, which I saw people on rollers and I was like, this is crazy. Um, but uh, the, you roll downhill for quite a while, and then after that, it's kind of flat and rolling, and then it gets into a big climb. And if you're further back, you're gonna have to walk that climb. Like a lot of people walk that climb. It's uh, so St. Kevin's, yeah. So it's really steep in our, in our group, we didn't have to walk the climb. It was nice. There weren't enough, you know, there were riders that were riding it and we were able to just, you know, pedal up. But the thing is too, you don't go all out on that climb. So you really don't need to warm up and it's such a long day. You kind of get to the point where you're ready to go. That's interesting. I would, I would feel like I would need to do just my normal daily opener PT. Yeah. Hip, mm -hmm. hip 
stretching. Oh, that would be great. That's one thing for sure. Like the activation yep. protocol right, for right. sure. And probably yep. get on the machine and do some reps, the rip row. Yeah, yeah just, exactly. Just to, just to open up. Because if yeah. once mm-hmm. I do that, I'm pretty open the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. Uh, I don't think you need a traditional bike warm-up for the normal reasons that you would warm up. Um, but that sort of thing, absolutely. You know, get your body into its functional state for sure. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's one thing. Also, if there's a line for the restroom, because the line was insanely long and I bet people miss the start because of that, just find a nearby construction site. That's what we did. So we just parked mm-hmm. by a little construction site and there were Sandy huts there. So, uh, easy little pro tip that you can do. Okay. Equipment full suspension was definitely the way to go. Um, this is not a road race. Like people say, uh, definitely not, but it is far from anything that I would call technical. But could you have done it on a cross bike? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh yeah. yeah. Yes. 100% it's possible, right? Um, but if you want to have a faster, more enjoyable day, uh, you'll be faster on that cross bike on a good amount of the sections, but I think you'll lose a lot of time in other sections. Would you have been faster? <laughs> mm, I don't know. I was on the Jonathan doing it on an open train. I really yeah. wanted that. To yeah, happen. I wanted yeah. to. Yeah. So, okay. Lee's here too. <laughs> I'm a bit of a hype man for Jonathan. <laughs> yes, like, you You're a great hype man. I think uh, I other than care, your, I need to have you with me at all times. Other than your parents, <laughs> I might be the second yeah, yeah. person it's, in your life who hypes you the most. It's great. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. You've now ridden a bunch with Jonathan, and right. I try to tell people how good Jonathan is. Mm. And on this, my cue to blush. I, I know think, yeah, on the yeah, descents at at uh, <laughs> at. Leadville, mm-hmm. you think you got four or five top 10 trophies? Do you remember how many? Yeah, I think uh, I think five, yeah. Five top mm-hmm. 10 trophies. And this is over many, many years of pros and thousands of people racing this race. Mm-hmm. And you too got slowed down. You weren't in the pro field. People were ahead of you and you had to pass people on the descents. Yeah, nonstop. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, that should tell you something. But Lee too, can you, is Jonathan any good? He's very, 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 very good. Thank you. Like way, way, way outside the bell curve. Very good. He's not like Richie Rude level. No way. And that's that's been proven. I raced but, the same. But I feel like most people don't time. know people as good as Jonathan. No, no. He's um, wherever you are out there in the universe. You know that really fast woman you ride with who's just at another level, or the fast dude who's at another level. There's there are infinite levels above that, and. Um, Jonathan, seven clicks up. That, seven clicks. Up that stairway. <laughs> seven clicks. That stairway nice. goes all the way, way up to the to the giant who lives in the clouds. <laughs> um, yeah, Jonathan's good. And you know what? To my eye, right? Like, y- y- you have... It's just third person or, or second? Uh, as you choose. Okay, I'll talk to you. Your yeah. mobility is 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 spot on. Like, we, we cleaned it up a little bit yesterday, uh-huh. right? Mm-hmm. But you have the potential to have perfect mechanics and that's what i see is like you ride super clean and then of course your power is way outside Mm -hmm. so in my mind like there's really no ceiling for how fast you can get and and given all the attention you put into endurance training if if you if you just put more energy into descending Mm -hmm. take your sb sb 150 out to north star more Mm -hmm. you i mean you'd be i think you're already pro fast but you'd be full-on pro fast yeah it's i blame my dad for that thanks dad uh he just used to like beat into my head over and over technique on all the things that we did so yeah yeah thanks dad appreciate that hey don descents can we talk about that really quick at oh, Leadville? Yeah. i have an opinion too about leadville for you oh yeah, oh, yeah. yeah let's hear it yeah, let's so hear. so um because your descending skills are so much better than everybody else and and a lot better than than they than they need to be mm-hmm. um 
maybe if you ever do it again, um, if that's your thing, <laughs> you, you would actually optimize your bike for climbing. Yeah. Like full on light, the smoothest tires they have, you, you know what I'm uh -huh. saying? And then, and then you have the skill to make any bike work on the downhill. Yeah. Adequately. So then maybe you can make a little bit more on the climb. This is what I, I wanted him to have a gravel bike just for that reason. Mm -hmm. Because I know I knew on the descents and because of traffic, you get limited by your speed. Yeah. Um, you probably wouldn't have gone any faster on a full enduro bike. No way. Than on no, your SP100. No, 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 and no. I would argue that, as Lee says, on a cross bike on the descents, although it would be a little more jarring for you. Yeah. You probably wouldn't go that much slower. But then on the climbs, you could go right on the flats a lot faster. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think it's probably right. Like, I would have felt miserable probably at the end of the day <laughs> from the jarring, but it probably would have been faster um, unless that fatigue came to the point where it overrode, you know, my fine. ability to we'll do it. We'll find out next year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah sounds like it. Oh, man, run an I don't. Experiment. <laughs> and you could set it up soft. Yeah, it's true. You know, go with yeah, like some forty fives yeah, or yeah, go with a big. 50s. Yep, six fifty yeah. wheels, mm -hmm. and then I can run like even like some. I ran two point oh Max's Treadlight tires. They don't make them anymore, so they're kind of hard to find. Um, but <clears throat> those tires were actually super impressive. And running those in like a twenty seven five on like mm -hmm. the open wide that mm -hmm. I have coming, oh, that would have been pretty cool. Something interesting with those tires, really quick, they climb out of the saddle really well. Like you saw them, they're almost like a file tread, right? Yeah. Um, you can look them up right now and, and producer Tucker will put them into forum.trainerroad.com. Just look for, uh, this episode, which is episode 216, And then you can find, uh, an image of these ones. But th when you get out of the saddle, they grip really well, which I was, I thought that I was going to lose that for sure. Maybe something you guys can do is, is measure the leading surface area of a minion, mm. which is like the classic DH tire with big knobs, but not that many of them yeah. versus a file. Yeah. And, and, and there, there might be a lot more leading edge on the file than you think. Like more contact patch, more, you're more, saying. Not only more contact like patch, catch, right? but more, more catch surfaces, yeah. more, more paddle wheels. Let's yeah. Say. Yeah. 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 It makes sense. It was, it was impressive how much it gripped there. Uh, when I was breaking, it was not very impressive. As soon as I hit the brakes, it was like, okay, you just want to go faster. Got it. And it just kind of like kept going, but also gripping, they, they gripped great when I leaned them over. They were, I feel like a super good Leadville tire. And shout out to a podcast listener who actually suggested those tires um, some time ago. So, so that that was a that was a good tip. Those tires are great. Um, a couple things: I ran slightly softer suspension. The way I did that was filling my uh, with my MRP fork. I could fill the negative chamber with more air than the positive chamber, and I did that, and it basically made it a little more supple. And I feel like took a lot of the sharpness out. A hmm. uh, little softer on on the rest of the body. That was a good thing. I got three tacks in my front tire. For those racing Leadville, you should expect this every year. Uh, I don't know who, but somebody protests, protests the event and they throw out tax. Um, usually it's after the St. Kevin's climb and that's where it was this year. Hmm. And I had three tax. I heard them go into my tire and I was like, oh gosh. And I think that I got more than others because the pros had already swept up a good amount of them. But then as I was descending, I was looking at alternate lines. And that's another thing on the descents. Like everybody goes down. I saw somebody comment on my Strava. They're like, oh, they smoothed out the trails. That's why, you know, you got like faster times. And I actually wish that I had more ruts and I had more bumps and I had, because then it would have given me shapes to work right. off of. Right. Mm -hmm. And to have traction and to, to place those sort of things, but they were really smooth. So everybody just sticks to the smooth surface. But while that's happening, I'm going to the outside. Cause if it's a fire road, it's probably dug in a little bit on one side, which means I have a berm and I love berms. Right. So I'm going to that. And since I was doing that, I think that's why I picked up three, but I use stands race sealant uh, because it was a race and it sealed all three of them up 
instantly as soon as they came out on the descent. Okay. Yeah. They ripped out once, you know, you're going down a road really fast and then you lean into a turn. It's a lot of torque on it. It just rips them right out. So, uh, okay. Another thing I started with my PSI two and a half pounds lower than what I wanted to have. Uh, and the reason that I did that was because number one, we're going up in elevation. Number two, the hmm. pressure or sorry, the temperature was going to rise over the course of the day. So that's, that's full on dude. Yeah. Yeah. Did I, you cal- did you calculate that number? Or no, does that feel? that's just based off of things that I have heard before. Um, so nerds, it would be awesome. I'm a fellow nerd, so I can say this, but nerds, it would be great if we could jump into the forum, we could calculate how much it would, you know, rise for something like that. That'd be cool. Cause wh- what was the temperature when it started 38? I saw someone post on Instagram Yeah. And it yep. was 80. Uh, we didn't get up to 80. Uh, I think it was like in the seventies. It's oh. pretty cool. So no fair. <laughs> oh yeah. It was so different from the weather you had. Oh. oh man. It was like, we had sprinkles every once in a while. Ooh. It was overcast a lot of the time. Sounds the, maybe I'll do Leadville again. Yeah. <laughs> it's, we gen- it's genteel. It's, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. That's how I would have described it. It was, it was pleasant. It was absolutely pleasant. Um, so that helped. And then basically, so I started at 20 and a half and 21 and a half, 20 and a half up front and then 21 and a half in the rear. And I figured I finished somewhere. I didn't check, but probably somewhere around 23, 24, which when I tested those tires, that was right uh, because they're smaller volume tires. So ne- next year, when you are putting on your new backpack, I will gladly test your tires at EJ station and tell you what you're at. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Awesome. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't know how you guys are deciding I'm doing this again. Cause <clears> I don't think I ever am, but, uh, that works. There's a lot of fruit on that tree. Yeah. Um, but I would have liked larger volume tires for sure. The aero helmet was great. Uh, vented kit. I used a vented one and then I had a vest and arm warmers. I actually kept the vest and arm warmers on all the way up Columbine. Cause I was worried that we were going to get rained on. Um, but I just unzipped the vest when I needed to up the climb. And since we're going slow, I'm sure it was catching some wind and causing some drag, but it probably wasn't a big deal. As soon as the speed went up, I was full aero nerd and I zipped that thing up. Right. Cause I didn't mm-hmm. want to be losing time. And then I used U sweep packs. I had three of them at different aid stations. And the cool thing was I saw so many of those packs. Whereas last year when you were there, I didn't see many at all. Everybody had them. And I think that's because of Eldon Nelson. Cause he talked a lot about it on the Leadville podcast. So, um, our good friend fatty, uh, which is cool. Some nutrition stats. I had four bottles of mix. There were three whole bottles and two half bottles that I drank. Uh, I had 10 gels. I had three hydration packs, two of them whole and two of them half, meaning that like I was able to drink through two whole ones and two half ones. Um, and each one of them had one pack of Martin 320 in there. I had, so I took in, this is crazy. I know this is going to break people's brains, but I had 960 grams of carbs over that race. Uh, so that's about 120 an hour, which that is above the normal 90. Right. And, um, do you have gas? So, uh, this is gonna, <laughs> probably a bit TMI, but, but buckle up. Um, so <laughs> basically, <laughs> um, I, so I, I felt like energy levels are great throughout the race, like no issues whatsoever. And then once we came down from Columbine, I started coming back. I was like, Oh, my stomach hurts really bad, but it didn't feel like gut rot. I, it's like a different feel. It was just basically like the, in, if you weren't riding your bike and you're suddenly like, Oh my gosh, I have to go to bathroom like real right now. Right. Mm-hmm. And that just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And by the time I got to uh, pipeline, I was dying. Like it was really bad and I couldn't focus on anything. And then these great people were cooling everybody off with these wet towels. And I saw a totally different purpose for these wet towels. And I was carrying like three of them. And one guy's like, why are you carrying so many towels in my mind? I'm like, don't worry about it. Like, you don't want to know. <laughs> and then uh, I snuck off into the woods a few times and took care of business. And then after that, I was f- totally fine. Energy levels are still high. So I don't feel like it was got raw. I think it was actually bad, uh, food from yeah. the How before. far into the race was that? 
This was like four or five hours. See, I think, I think that's the night before. Yeah. And the interesting mm. thing too, was the fact that after that, you would think that if it was like gut rot and like bonking that I would still be like, Oh, I'm in a hole. No, right. No. After like, you know, sorry. Wait, so this is, I don't, I don't know how this works. So if someone knows, please tell me. But yeah. um, I think what happens is when you get over the amount you can absorb, yeah. it just goes through your digestive tract and you get really loose stools and you get gas. Yeah. Um, and it does hurt. It's happened to me before. Yeah. Um, we can test it like right after this. So, <laughs> no, thank you. But the interesting thing was I was, I continued my intake at the same rate after and felt great. Felt great afterward. Yeah. I yeah. think, and, and I, and I also think it was the food too, because I looked back at the website that where we got the food from and they do use, I didn't think they use dairy, but they did use dairy in there and dairy causes me issues. And I didn't have any lactate or anything else like that. So I think that's what it was. Um, because then once I mm -hmm. kept going on, it was great. I had awesome energy throughout yeah. the rest of the race. So we'll, we'll have to test it still, Nate. Yeah. <laughs> you guys go ahead. Um, so always be eating. That's like a big thing that you have to do and always be drinking, of course, and forget palate fatigue. Honestly, if you're, if your palate fatigue is such like a pretentious term anyway, so, right? What would that be? Like when people are like, I just can't handle the same flavor anymore. Oh my God. <laughs> right? When you were a caveman. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You, what would you, oh yeah. no, I don't want any more Buffalo. Yeah. Man, you know? yeah. You're eating like, like pounded corn and Buffalo for the yeah. 17th year in a row. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, oh you're man. Like, I just, I think I want to go paleo. Oh wait, I almost kind of am. Yeah. Right. I don't want palate fatigue. Forget palate fatigue. You can eat, you can eat whatever you want after the race. Just eat what works, right? And stick to that. And don't take nutrition products that you haven't tested. I saw a bunch of people, like super kind people in the aid station, like offering other people things, right, to, to eat. And it's one thing if you're like completely depleted, mm -hmm. take something on. But otherwise, if that's not in your plan, don't take it. Um, pacing, that start was just starting at the beginning. That was extremely sketchy. Probably the scariest moments I've ever had on, my bi on a bicycle in my life. More scary than riding Whistler when it was like completely flooded in the downpour on sketchy slabs and bridges that are covered in moss it's by far away. And it's not because the, the road was sketchy. We were going down a road. It was the riders. And I think it's just because this kind of brand of mountain biker doesn't ride in groups very much. Mm -hmm. So at least it seems like we had, we were going like 35 miles an hour down this road, 40 miles an hour down this road. <clears throat> And it's very clear by the hundred people in front of us that we are going to hit a right turn in like 200 meters, right? We can all see it because it's downhill. Like we can see right. the turn, but there are people like taking their hands off the bars and yelling out like right turn and like signaling with their hands. And it's like, yo, we got it. You don't need to take your hand off the bars because when they take their hand off the bars, it's not like a normal rider. They start like going out of control and they, for, they stop braking. And like, it was, was it, did you have a similar well, experience? You say that it's terrifying. But still people back in the green corral. <laughs> People the turn. No, they lock up because they don't realize it's coming. <laughs> oh my god! And they're going and they're like fishtailing. <laughs> oh my gosh! So I, I mean, the the right terrifying. turn yelling, I think, is because they don't want people behind them yeah. crashing into them. It was crazy. And then guys just like, like I was like spinning around and I'm like looking down. I'm like, I'm doing 300 watts. This is not good. So I just like eased off, right? And there are guys that I'm looking at that I'm just like, see you in 30 seconds when you're blown up, right? And, yeah. and they're just going so hard and it's such a long day. It must be exciting though, right? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's it. That's why. This is your event of maybe your lifetime. Yes. Like our, you know, your bucket list of one of the things in cycling. Mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah. Yep. They 300 watts doesn't it. feel like 300 watts. You've been training for a year for it probably yeah. and taking oh, it really yeah. seriously. Listen to podcasts and all the way up. Yeah. Oh yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. It's like everything for him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's uh 
I've had that too, where it's oh, yeah. just so exciting, right? Yeah. And then like you blow through the first aid station before they've set it up. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, I'm good, but then you're not good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have an idea, Lee. Uh, like, do you ever see it where people descend, where like they descend worse at their most important events or like the things that matter the most for them because they're in their own head? Yeah, I can say I, 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 me too. You know, I yeah. think, I mean, like we, we talked last time about optimal arousal and finding that sweet spot. And, uh, um, if you're over it, you're not going to be riding smart. Yeah. Yeah. Like I had, not that I ever think about this anymore because it's complete non-issue in my life, but in 04, I was on the master's world's team, um, for the USA. Yeah. And that was my huge goal for the year was just to be invited. Like anyone can go, but I like, I had the stars and stripes, right? That's pretty so cool. So I'd already pretty much met my complete cycling goals for downhill, but I got there and I was riding well, dude. And I was there and there's this one really nutty you're going like you know really fast on a dirt road hard right off camber rooty rocky muddy rainy to to an uphill oh geez and 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 um in practice dude i was coming out i was slowing down almost to a stop i was squaring up and just just edging that section and just carrying speed and i was like in my like 12. Wow. You know, like back then, like a 38, 12 and mm -hmm. just gone. And I knew I could outpedal everybody. And, but dude, like I started coming down that hill and I just hear people screaming my name. <laughs> I had never heard that in my yeah. life. I'm like, how do they even know? Yeah. Right? yeah. And then Lee likes bikes, all this stuff and, and the flash bulbs. And, and I just didn't slow down enough. Yeah. You know, and, and, uh, haunts me. Yeah. You know, I, I punched a tree and then I'm in my 12. Yeah. <laughs> On flat ground, right? Yeah. <laughs> Which means you don't go anywhere, yeah. basically. Yeah. So, so yeah. I mean, like, I would guess that would be considered a choke. Yeah. Right? Oh, and I saw that a ton when we got to aid stations because you kind of like ride with like the same group of people almost the whole race after a while. Like, you just see each other in a bit, like every time. And every time we get to aid stations, I'd see them, they're just like hero, right? They're like, I'm, I'm jacked up again. Like, I can do it. And they go really hard. And then after that, I'd pass them and they'd be just like heavy breathing, right? You know, it's it, it happens to all of us. I feel like you should always have, like trick your brain, you should have another event. Yeah. Like this is more this, important. This is the stepping stone <laughs> yes. to this other huge yeah, event. hundred uh, percent. I've done the best on events that are like preps for the big event. Oh yeah. Because you don't care. Yeah. Yeah, yeah right? That's You're really like, uh, yep. It's not a big deal. I'm going to pace this perfectly. Uh, the outcome mm -hmm. doesn't matter. Then you have a great outcome. Yeah. And like a or, weekly twilight race before national championships, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 The one that really doesn't matter. Um, another thing we've said it plenty of times, like we just said, go easier than you think you need to on the climbs and then keep your pace up over the top. Uh, that was one mm -hmm. thing that I saw like a very, very, very few people actually do. And when we were in groups, actually, we, we kind of formed this tiny group at the very end when you're kind of coming into town and you hit some rollers before you do this really long drag coming into town and, and spoiler alert for anybody that hasn't done Leadville, you will like wonder what in the world is wrong with these race organizers. Cause like <laughs> the course just feels like, how is it still going? And on this really long dirt road, remember that thing coming in, it feels extremely long and it's just straight and you can see it forever. Um, but in those situations we were riding with a group and, and this guy's like, let's form a group. And I'm like, all right, cool. Uh, just so you know, I'm holding my own pace. So, you know, I'll, I'll ride my pace if it's the group's pace. Hmm. And we go over and, and I was like doing a poll. Then a guy came around me and he goes up this hill and he had to have been going like 400 Watts. Right. 
And then like, he like goes back to fall back and he looks worked. And I was like, Hey man, I'll work with you as long as you don't do that ever again. Like, like, <laughs> like don't pull that hard. It's not going to help anybody. I love right? how you have healthy yeah. boundaries out there. Yeah. <laughs> you have to. My girls are in like a Waldorf school. They're learning that. Yeah. 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 You have to, right. You have to just place those, those, those lines for sure. The other thing, walking is more tiring than riding. I swear. Um, unless you have really bad gearing, right. That's mm. like puts you way over the limit. But a lot of people I saw just like instantly give up and walk and yeah. it's, and, it, but try to stay on the bike. The shopping cart is so hard, right? <laughs> yeah, like exactly. Pushing your bike up yes. this steep, loose thing. You're like, man, this sucks. Yes. You're like, yeah, it does. <laughs> it's I, terrible. I must, I must be specially adapted or something. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you've done it I, I, I like to say that I'm pretty pretty good humbly i'll say i'm pretty good at pushing (laughs) the um up columbine you had to walk when i was there there there's so many people yep but i actually tweaked my my back and my triceps got tired from From pushing pushing. the bike so much because if you're pushing up columbine that's a long time you're pushing because it's you know really steep for a long time um so and then uh, the other point is on the descents we talked about looking outside the main line like coming down pipeline you have on almost every situation you have berms to the side of the trail like mm-hmm. look and use those we unfortunately didn't have ruts this time because the ruts would have been awesome too because i guarantee you people wouldn't have been descending in the ruts so it's like okay i've got a clear line and it's perfect for me and i can just stick to that one of the right? things that happens when we're under stress is our eyes just follow that main line like our mm-hmm. we, we get this really hard focused vision right and then and you you can't See, so yep. you need to have some bandwidth in the first place yep. in order to even con- conceive of it. Yes. You can feel it when you're really pinned on a downhill run, like when you cross that line. Yep. Like where it becomes, it, it takes a lot more like mental effort to pick totally. other lines, right? We'll talk about this in a second, but we did a drill with you where we, we didn't pedal at all. Mm-hmm. And that was like, this trail's a lot bigger now. <laughs> it's amazing, <laughs> yeah, right? Like, yeah. That was crazy. Let's, let's make sure we cover that. When we yeah. Get uh, and so, so specifically on pipeline, uh, that's a long trail with big line of sight. And uh, something that we covered with you last time, Lee, was like, you know, breaking and making sure that you, when you break, it's not just you squeezing levers, right? But when you break, it's placing your weight down and into the bike when you break at the same time. So then you have more traction, you have more stopping power. Can you describe that? Mm-hmm. How do you break on a mountain bike? So, well, first of all, like if, if you have static weight, then there's a hard line on your traction, the amount of traction you have, you know, mm-hmm. function of load and friction on the tires and the surface, right? Meaning you can't change or shift you, that weight. You can't, right? you can't surpass it. So a lot of people are, will tell me, I don't trust my tires. And I'll tell them, don't. You shouldn't trust your tires. Yeah. You should trust you. Yeah, good point. <laughs> right? Yeah. And so um, everything we do is a wave, sine wave of love, right? Mm-hmm. So you'd want to corner and break in the heavy phase of your personal love wave. Yeah. Um, like that. That's good. And so, and so there's a pendulum that hangs from your belly button, right? And when you hit the brakes, as you might expect, it swings forward. Hence, um, that's why you guys get your hands beaten up, um, back tires skid, and sometimes the eyes, your eyes will kind of rattle out of your head and you got to go find them, but then you don't have your eyes. It's hard. It's awkward. (laughs) It's it's tricky. Super awkward. (laughs) Um, good reason to ride in a group, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. So, um, when we break, we want to, we want to come light. First of all, like, like Jonathan says, we want to place our braking. Mm -hmm. Decide where you're going to break ahead of time. So it's an act of, uh, will, not an act of, um, reaction. Right. Mm-hmm. So anyway, you'll, you'll, you'll kind of just like you're on a little trampoline, you'll come light and then in a very smooth way, as you come heavy, like as that wave, like starts to build, you're going to 
ease into your brakes at the same pace as your heaviness, mm-hmm. and at the same time, you can rotate back around the bottom bracket. That means everything, cranks, pedals, feet, your entire torso will just change angle. And simple math would be if you're, if you're decelerating at a G, mm-hmm. which hell yeah, heck yeah, yeah. we can do, um, you, uh, the, the net angle is 45 degrees. So get out on your bike and like put your finger 45 degrees back from the bottom bracket. That's where your center mass should be. Which means you're way back. So your butt's way back. And then so you you, you simultaneously get heavy, apply brake, correct your position so your hands stay weightless. Mm -hmm. And then as you release that brake pressure and weight, then you come back to center. Mm -hmm. Um, And then that's how you should brake. Yeah. But that's uh, not how people brake. Yeah, exactly. And and pipeline's really long, and I would see people just sitting there dragging the whole way down. Super tense, right? Because they're just waiting for their tires to give out, right? Because they're just, you know, kind of braking and they're static and they're not moving. And and that trail has undulations there. That road has undulations, right? So I was like, oh, sweet. I can just coast. And then if I need to slow down, when I come into that thing, I'm just going to get nice and heavy. Right. You can use that. Nice and low. I'm going to let myself sink down and back and then I'll pop some braking in and then I'll be able to control my speed Mm -hmm. instead of just dragging my brakes. And it makes everything better because everything in life is better with speed. Did you hit your brakes though? um, Yeah, had to. And the reason that I had to is just because there were so many people everywhere. But otherwise, I think that you could just go straight wide open open down that thing and then you would just place your braking at the end if you i haven't seen it but i'm gonna guess that if you keep your eyes out Mm -hmm. if you have a soft vision so you don't look at anything but you see everything like that kind of scene yep and you're pumping the big shapes i'll bet you could go as fast as you as fast as you want you absolutely can and it could be rougher and you could do the same thing because it's straight and you can just see the whole time and the other thing is once again it has berms so i was able to also manage the maintain the speed and then Mm -hmm. manage that because i have berms to be able to hold myself rather than trying to ride on an off camber little you know turn something like that and the best way to ride off camber is to not ride off camber yeah exactly right (laughs) turn it into not that right Right. when you don't like the turn make your own turn right that's That's anthony robbins actually (laughs) it totally is yeah um so uh, some takeaways on the event. Corral position matters a ton. Like Brandon, uh, his race was entirely different in the beginning because he had to walk through things that I didn't have to walk through, and it was all because of the corral position. Try the back of green. Oh, That's what I did. Brutal, yeah. And so impressive, by the way. Like to, I was there supporting you, but um, just like another, like if you would, a round of applause. If we were like a radio show, Tucker would hit the clap thing right now. You, you did an incredible time last year. With even considering, you know, without, if you take away the fact that you melted out there, you still put in an incredible time, especially for where you were. So I'm just super impressed. But, uh, that said, you can make it up and I wouldn't say that you should make it up, but, and we should probably shouldn't, but Chad Hall, he's a, you, you know who Chad yeah. Hall is uh pro road racer, pro road racer. Holy cow. Is he fast? And so he was in his mind. He's like, yeah, man, the race starts at 7 a.m. I'm sure of it. And it did not start at 7 a.m. It started at 630. So he showed up at 645 and he was like, where is everybody? This is like Freaky Friday or something, right? Like it's like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so he showed up late and he was like, I better start riding. So he passed me going up the backside, I guess, going up Sugarloaf, the backside of pipeline. And he like ripped by me and I was like, what are you doing back here? Cause we were actually feeding him. Our, our same crew was feeding him. And he was like, I don't want to talk about it. And he would like pass me at an insane amount of speed, like going uphill, like just blew my mind. And I was like, well, whatever happened, Chad's going to blow up in 30 seconds. Cause he <laughs> cannot see him in an hour. Right? <laughs> he finished, I think 10th. 
he got all the way back up. Like so amazing. I cannot believe it. So Chad, even though you probably hate yourself for like showing up late, right? I'm so impressed. I have, I literally have dreams about this <laughs> with triathlons. Yeah, yeah. That you show up or when I, I come out of the swim and your tires aren't pumped up and your helmet's not there. <laughs> Terrible. Oh, be the worst, This right? is anxiety. Yeah. Oh, it happened. It that's, happened. That's the variation on the, it's the last day of school and you haven't attended any classes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> about to take, that's a variation on that theme. Exactly. Um, so uh, also this race, it is absolutely, I've reviewed this many times in my head and tried to remove the emotion that I had in the moment of it. And it is without a doubt, in my opinion, the most dangerous race I've ever done in my life. Um, and the reason for that is because you have two way traffic going on Columbine and on yeah. different portions of the course. I don't know if you saw that. I mean, oh, many close I, calls. I told you, um, you got to make sure that's really, you have to really be on the right, especially cause, uh, you're so far up front that yes. when you get later on, I'm sorry, I'm. It's hard to say, but it's such a, it's not very wide. Maybe as wide as this table. It's like a Jeep trail. So it's basically got two tracks Yeah. and, and sometimes one of those tracks isn't very viable for climbing. Mm -hmm. So people swerve over or you try to pass somebody and they're trying to pass and they're at 12,000 feet and they're nearly 50 miles into a race and they probably went way too hard. Like everybody else did. And they're probably not eating and drinking enough. So they're loopy. They don't make sense. At least there's people going 40 miles an hour down the other side, right? <laughs> but that's the thing. Yeah, that, that, that's good. It, yeah. Yeah. From a physics yeah. standpoint, there's something about that. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But it's, it's it's pretty much it's so loose. Like you, if someone comes, if someone were to come out, even pushing their bike and didn't look forward, the person coming down, you it's can't so stop. loose, can't stop. You can't stop. And just terrifying, like terrifying, terrifying experiences. So I went into the sagebrush multiple times and I was like, I hope there's not a big boulder here because I'm either going to hit somebody. Oh, you had to get oh, out yeah. of the line. Oh yeah. Go off the trail entirely. And I'm going through sagebrush that's as high as my knees. This, you know is, what so, I mean? this is so crazy to hear because we're all told that it's a non-technical race and it's no big deal. And Which I just got to like ride my road you know? bike a lot. And, yeah. <laughs> but to hear you, a, a very accomplished rider, tell us that. You said this is the most dangerous race you've yes, done. You said that. By far and away. So I think people should heed that. Yeah. It's the people. Yes. It's it's the, the people on that course that make it dangerous, right? It's not the course itself. Well, it's a mix, right? Yeah, it's a, a mix. Yeah. If you get the 12,000, 14,000 feet and the mm -hmm. course is very not very wide and it's yeah. loose and people want to get these times. So here's the other thing. Leadville, you can avoid this. Like, I don't know why you don't do this event organizers. Did you notice this when you're climbing up Columbine, you get to this point where it gets really steep and I noticed that part. <laughs> you turn right and it gets really steep. And if you look to the left, there's another fire road. That's really not that steep. It's slightly longer and it takes you to the same exact spot Oh, dude! <laughs> and you can see it and it just takes you to the same spot. And in my mind, I'm like, why are we not separating here? It would be so much safer for everybody involved. Mm -hmm. So the descenders could go on the long way down maybe. Exactly right. Yeah. Or yeah, whatever you want to do, just make us go down different ways and it's totally possible to do it. I wonder if they just need to have it open for emergency vehicle access or something uh, maybe. like that. Yeah, maybe, I don't know. But uh, yeah, definitely dangerous. Uh, that's, yeah. Mm -hmm. And too, it's unsafe. private land up there. So it's like, it's hard to, Mm. I think they have to do deals about what they can take and what they can't take. Well, death is also bad. So hopefully that doesn't happen. Right. Yeah. So 
anyways, yeah, it was super scary. Um, uh, like we said, Columbine isn't that bad. Pipeline is much harder, in my opinion. Pipeline's the hardest climb I've done. Brandon also agreed the hardest climb he's done. A guy, Scott Tetzel from the company Quare, uh, the, the kits that we like, he's done, I think, nine times under, like, under seven hours, maybe. He's so fast, like, really fast. And he also, I said, this, <laughs> talking to him after the race, he's like, yeah, every time, Pipeline is insane, like, mind-blowingly hard. It's the right. hardest climb he's done. So save yourself for that aid stations have to have a clear plan and backups. Uh, in our case, Chad tapped the Google maps pin instead of tapping the link that I have for Google maps directions. And as a result, the pin took him onto the course and it forced him to the twin lakes aid station instead of the twin lakes alternate that we went to. Uh -oh. So as a result, because otherwise, if you just follow Google maps, it takes you on course and you're forced to go there. But otherwise, you know, you have to go way down the road. So we didn't tap or Chad, Chad tapped the pin instead of tapping the route. And as a result, he ended up showing up at a different aid station. I was very confused. Um, didn't end up affecting the race. We stayed calm. That's another thing in aid stations, stay calm. <clears throat> According to Amaret and Chad, they saw many things, uh, grown men crying, uh, you know, families giving a dad a bottle, something like that. And the dad getting angry and throwing the bottle down and saying he doesn't want that bottle. That's a global um, thing. <laughs> Everybody should relax at aid stations, period. Yes. The end. Yes. It, 10 seconds is never going to change your entire race. Right. Never, ever, ever, and those, ever. And that short little time you can like recover and relax yeah. and drop down take that level of arousal too. for a bit. I'm going to take it one step further. It's huge. Thank the people. Yes. yes. You're the volunteer. Always say thank you. Or yeah. the people that have come in yeah. triathlon, this is huge. At least for the part of the race that I'm at, everyone's like thanking every volunteer. Yes. Uh, yes. Some people are for sure. too type A and yes. they get too far uh, in, into their own head. This is a great one. As seen in aid stations. Okay. That should be like a thing. <laughs> yeah. But um, this, a guy pulls up, one person is there to pinch the front tire with his legs so he can hold the rider up. The other one goes to the saddle. He has, he has amp human on his hands and he's rubbing it. No joke. This happened, rubbing it on the rider's legs, like refreshing it. Right. Nice. So one guy's Pit rubbing stop. it on his legs. Yes. Another guy is pouring ketones into his mouth and then other people have goos like, like gels and they're like putting them in his mouth and squeezing them into his mouth. What? All the mean, all the while the rider's like holding onto the handlebars and I'm just like, whoa, like I get what you're trying to do. Like NASCAR, right? Like, like get it all done Formula really one. quick. Yeah. yeah, yeah <laughs> <Right>. Good point. <laughs> but relax, like take your hands off the bars. Like it's, it's going to help you out. I would put my hands anywhere else. Yeah. Right. You want to get them off the yeah. bars, man. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, yeah. So anyways, that, uh, the other thing I feel like, uh, event organizers, I plead with you, change your aid station strategy and put an aid station at turquoise Lake after you climb up pipeline and go down Sugarloaf. Uh, I know that you have a lot of neutral stuff with like water, but people should be able to have their feeds after that. And it's not, uh, it's not safe in my opinion, because the hardest part of that course is from pipeline back. Cause there's a lot of climbing, like a ton of climbing, especially if it's like in the high nineties and that's when it's actually yeah. hot right throughout the day. In our case, it wasn't very hot, but that's when it gets hot. That's when you're most tired. That's when you have everything. And then you have like the longest and hardest stretch. You have no aid stations. Like that's crazy. Like that's where you should have an aid station. And I feel like people would have a much more enjoyable experience as well because they finish Leadville completely blown because you haven't put an aid station there. And then they think, Oh, that was a terrible experience. I don't want to do that. If anything, don't give them aid stations in the beginning, like give them like every single thing they could possibly want toward the end of a race when a person needs it and they will come back. I promise you yes. that's the best that way to do it. That makes a lot of sense. So it, it would be a lot help, more helpful for people. And then also to riders always take the cold towels. There were a ton of cold towels out there. Uh, EF education first. Not when I did it. <laughs> <laughs> Over the hot time, they didn't have them. No, there was that's no terrible. one had a cold towel. 
That's terrible. Um, so they had a bunch of them this time. And maybe, had, maybe there's one, but it wasn't cold. Uh, EF education first. They had, I don't know if it was like the people on the exchange student programs that they do, whatever mm-hmm. else they had a gigantic amount of people and they were all handing out like a wet bandanas that were coming out of coolers all the time. Like that's awesome. Take those things. I saw a lot of riders skipping them. Even if you don't feel hot, take it because your body is still working really hard to, to off put a lot of heat. So uh, that's Leadville. Um, a lot of people were saying like, uh, pass me or I was passing them and they were like, man, I can't wait to hear this podcast. All the crazy things that happen. <laughs> Nothing crazy happened throughout the whole day. Um, but what, what was, that it was the scariest race of your life. Yes, it was terrifying. <laughs> what, and Brandon's time, uh, Brandon's time was eight forty, I think. Yeah. No, eight thirty. 830 something somewhere yeah. in there yeah, so, yeah somewhere he had there. a bad day mm-hmm. um i think he wants to go back yes he does he yeah does. he does okay <laughs> i'll support but i'm not doing it I, i'll support also and yeah. you well, can do it nate yeah again um and also one quick thing on the aid station thing around turquoise lake i saw so i saw people still back there because they know the logic of the thing and they're looking at logic and safety of the riders there were still plenty of families back there giving aid and uh, I, they, say that's, aid they say that's illegal. They were right by race organizers that were there and they didn't care. Hmm. So I think that maybe if we just like start like an underground, like, like a rising, like an undercurrent and there just people a, show up there, maybe yeah. trainer road made official. this uprising. Happen. Yeah. 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 For yeah, the safety of riders. Hashtag trainer road, punk rock. Yeah. <laughs> Super punk rock. That is. Yeah. yeah. So how'd yeah. you, you did an A14. How'd you feel afterwards? Great. Like the knots, <laughs> Nate setting up for something. I I I felt I felt fine. I did not feel tired, uh, excessively tired. I felt like I had ridden a hundred miles, but I did not feel excessively tired. Okay, so uh, how did you feel, Nate? We're all very proud of you, <laughs> um, but I'm I think I'm speaking for everyone here that we're all very annoyed at you for. I didn't go that hard and got an eight fourteen. I saw yeah. your your Strava title and I immediately thought he has to do it again because <laughs> well we, we talked about your goals. Your goal your, yeah. your goals changed yeah because your goal was to do it as fast as possible to get it over with as soon as possible as fast. So what, what I thought was he's going to do a capacitive effort. Yep. Right. Yep. Pace it well, smart, uh-huh. and I had you at seven forty six. Yeah. But you roll in, you go, that was easy, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to train tomorrow. <laughs> and yeah. everyone else, it, I, I was out. Like, I was out for a month. Oh, yeah, you were, you were. I was genuinely worried for your safety at the finish um, last year. Yeah, so I don't know if you really, if we even count this as doing it rather than just a practice ride. <laughs> what, what's the, like, yeah, you see yeah, one? He, you, he, pro, he pre-wrote it. Yeah, he pre-wrote it. <laughs> That's, so now he so, knows. Now he can do it for real. For, he, exactly. And he re- pre-wrote it on his big slow bike yeah right and next time he's going to come out on a proper fast bike yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and on a gravel bike on a gravel yeah. bike no right? I, I, I think open, i'm done dude. i think i'm done with it i don't know i have i, I, I have don't know <laughs> i heard it <laughs> i mean <coughs> forgive me i thought about this as like you know i might do it if my son said hey dad i want to do leadville but i'd actually tell my son there's better things to do like you know like <laughs> so i feel so bad they're not gonna let you back in. <laughs> they probably won't like it, it, it's it's and the thing is like it's just not my it's not what excites me about mountain biking right and that's why i don't really want to go back and do it and and so my objectives did change right that's the famous chad line yeah right? <laughs> <laughs> I changed, I didn't quit. I changed my objectives is what he said. Mm. Um, but for me, like I got into it and I was thinking in the beginning, I was like, and I was probably honestly pretty overwhelmed by how frightening the beginning was with a group. And I was kind of like, it kind of like made me reset. And 
Yeah, yeah. Go, no, go ahead. I'll say something. Yeah, and and I and I think I got into the mode where I looked at this and I was and I started thinking of you, and last year, and how I was I was genuinely worried that you were gonna like black out. Like it was you were deep and you were in a very bad place, right? That's what I wanted and you to be. <laughs> I know you wanted that, but I was like. I don't want that. I don't want to die. Like I kind of had like life flashing before my eyes in that group. You obviously not committed to this race. <laughs> yes, that's yeah. probably about right. And uh, I was uh, like, he's just a hobbyist. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, you know what? Maybe we can make this uh, an in quotes enjoyable experience. Like not like afterward. I'm like I'm shelled. I can't do anything for weeks. Right. And uh, and I and that part mission accomplished. So I don't regret it. I don't regret the way I paced it. If you take out, like, you beat me by so much on the descents, mm -hmm. um, your time was, like, only, like, 10 minutes faster than mine, mm -hmm. but at many more, not many more, but half a watt or probably half a watt of kilo higher than my, me. Yeah. Which is crazy. Yeah. Um, just to show how you were going a lot slower. Yep. Um, okay, you were in the Silver Corral descending. Mm -hmm. um, I would say that probably in general, further back you go, the mm -hmm. skills are maybe not as experienced riders. I would, I would agree with that assumption. So, it's probably yeah. not fair, but that's, yeah, yeah. No, but there's a mix, make. right? Yeah. But probably mm -hmm. in general, if yep. you're 2.5 watts per kilo, you're probably not an experienced handler or someone at 4, 4.5 or Just because it takes more time on the bike to get there, right? Yeah, exactly. If, if anything else. So it does get pretty scary. Uh, oh, yeah. I was in the back of green and purple, uh, and it's it, and there's more people too. Oh, yeah. The, the road was really, and then the other thing is it's freezing cold. Yeah, so you're descending you, 38 and you don't want everyone shivering. You don't have a huge jacket on cause you're, it's about to get really hot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. And that just adds a whole another layer of, um, of, uh, complexity to it. Yeah. I wish they wouldn't start it yeah. in town if they would start at the bottom of the descent. Yeah. Uh, or even take like a route through town that isn't like maybe make a switch back almost through town. Cause you totally can. So it's not just straight down a crazy hill. Yeah, it's going, just not safe. Yeah. You know? Uh, yeah. Pretty crazy, man. That was, uh, that was some nerve wracking stuff, but yes, that's, I don't think I, I in fact, I'm very confident in saying one and done. What I'm about you, Pete? Done. I don't want to do it. Yep. Well, you got to do it for Cape Epic. No, I'll, I'll gladly do Cape Epic, but Leadville just, yeah, I can't do it. It doesn't, it doesn't tickle the nerve. No. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't get you going. I feel like it either gets you or it doesn't. Yeah. yeah. People, this is the same with, uh, when we do our Ironman, yeah. uh, some people, they See, get it and they're like, I love this. I would be tickled by doing an Ironman, but not by doing Leadville, as crazy as that sounds. Yeah, and I understand it because I, yeah. I, I felt like I was the same way. Then I was like, I'm going to withhold judgment. And honestly, the race is very much what I expected. Did like, you really withhold judgment? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> I didn't. I just held it quietly within, sometimes not quietly. Um, and then I went in and, you know, I'm, I'm glad I did it for sure. Yeah. But uh, if I hadn't done it, I would be just as, as whole of a man, so to speak. Like, I don't feel like it, you know, it filled any void or anything like that. So, mm. uh, but Pete and I will be there to support you next year, Nate. And Brandon again. And now that I've supported and I've raced. I can't do it. You can't do it? No. Why? I got uh, Cape Epic. Yeah, that's, it's like. I go hard at 240 these days after. Confused. <laughs> 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 no, yeah. no, it's, it's less than that because it's the next spring. Yeah, so it's, it's August. It's March, yeah. To mark. So you're not doing it? No, why would I do it? Oh, I mean, I well, thought that you would get excited when do it. Enjoyable? <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, it's so... Or it fills a void. I mean, that's a big deal. Right? That's, a, that's like the biggest deal. That's really. why, I, yeah, I totally, I think that's why. Honestly, I mean, like everything fills a void for, for some reason. Right. Like we don't compete for ribbons. Mm -hmm. And like, like honestly, you know what I mean? So... I would like to do it some other time if my fitness and weight are dramatically improved. Mm -hmm. um, but it's it does take a lot out of me. Yeah. Um, and I've got 
bigger goals. Like next year, I uh, go stepping back. I got third in a one, two, three, 35 plus race. Uh, Sunday, Sunday yeah. and I got some points in a 35. I got fourth in a 35 plus point two three race on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And I'm two points away from Cat Two. Yeah, so I want to get Cat Two, and then I want to get Cat One next year. Yeah, so I want to be doing stage races. Got it. And that's a much okay. different, much and more precise preparation, probably. Exactly. I got to yeah. be riding my TT bike a mm-hmm. lot. Um, I got to yeah. work on my anaerobic power. That's the that's, TT bike doesn't build for Cape Epic, but the stage race format absolutely does. And there's so many things you learn. Like stage races, it's a it's a different like oh, yeah. skill in itself. Totally. I, I, I want to be able to get a high FTP during yeah. that time. Mm-hmm. And then after maybe Hawaii start to work then on with a high FTP. Now yeah. let's add lots and lots of volume and lots and lots of sweet spot, which Cape Epic is going to be. Yeah. Yep. And he mentions Hawaii cause we go there for Kona and we also treat it like a training camp too. Yep. We, we exactly. It's kind of like the kickoff of uh, yeah. Cape Epic training and it's after some travel. So, uh, it's, I, I think I want to be there next year, even if you don't race then, uh, Pete, I don't know if you want to come cause it, I think I'm going to let you in the town. But I would like to just support users there. Uh, it'd be cool to have like neutral, you know, neutral support in the sense that like, you know, for all you trainer road listeners or users listening. A high five tunnel. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Yeah. Like, but you know, have like good nutrition products that are there, like the ones that that, you know, like two to one glucose, fructose ratio, just things that make sense that we know works, you know, like or, you know, that's lotion stuff. on the legs. <laughs> yeah, we'll do the full NASCAR pit stop. Yeah. Jonathan will have the, the gels pre ready to <laughs> yeah. squeeze into your mouth. <laughs> yeah, I think that could be fun though. They um, can make a little gel roller device. Oh yeah, yeah. You yeah, can do like point. a toothpaste roller type thing. Yeah, yeah. But, but but like but a power one. So you you'd push with your thumb and Hit it would just button. be like. Yeah, it just goes right in. Yeah. Will you get on that, Lee? I want well, a gel bong. We know how to make things. Gel bong. That would be hilarious. Yeah, that could work. Instead of a beer bong, just load up with gels. Dude, that's funny. Like a yeah. half gallon of gel yeah, all at exactly. once. Yeah. Everybody's cheering. Go, That'd be go, hilarious, go. right? <laughs> chug, chug. Um, yeah. So, uh, anyways, thank you so much to everybody that was there. It was so cool to talk with you guys, trade polls, do all that stuff. It was awesome. Congrats to everybody that did it. Leadville um, is such a challenge. Like, even completing that course is hard. Like, mm-hmm. it is a really hard course physically, psychologically, extremely hard. Uh, that, that is just really hard. So everybody that finished it, I don't care what time you finished it in. You should feel like there are people like, Oh, that's not, you know, sub nine, that's not sub 10 or sub eight, whatever hundred miles on a mountain bike. And it's really hard. (laughs) Yeah. That's it is so hard. So like everybody that does that, you should feel truly accomplished for doing that for sure. Um, and, and kudos. It was awesome. Let's get into some skills. Let's do that. Sounds good. Uh, so we talked, uh, yesterday, we went through the skills clinic. We worked on a bunch of different things. We got on the rip row, uh, which, uh, I've used that rip row regularly throughout the, ever since we, we got ours, which is like a little over a year and a half ago, I think now. And, uh, I use it as kind of like a refinement of technique, that sort of a thing. It was honestly really helpful when I hurt my knee and I was going through rehab mm. because one of the big <clears throat> issues that we highlighted in, in uh, rehab was, uh, hip impingement and like a lack of mobility in my hips. Right. And this really kind of gave me a good way to work on hip mobility in a dynamic way that wasn't so like, cause there were stretches that I was doing that was really painful that I was working on and things to try to kind of break up impingements actually in the hip. And then there was, you know, this dynamic movement that I could do, which was awesome. So it's like a really good technique training tool, also a really good strength training tool, the whole thing. And then we took it out to the course and we worked on it on our bikes and we worked on a bunch of stuff. But Nate, one thing that you really wanted to work on was turns like, like flat turns, flat corners. Yep. And you're better at them now. Oh yeah. Wow. What happened? Well, Lee, why don't you explain how, 
There's two parts I want when you talk about. One, you have a new uh, a way to describe the relationship between rowing and anti-rowing and what you do with your feet and then how that then goes into flat turns. Okay. Yeah. He says it's better than I do. Yeah, of course. Oh, yeah, yeah. Of course. <laughs> so then all of us, right? Yeah. Um, well, uh, when you ride, imagine the trail as a wave. Um, if you're on a pump track or a BMX track or a new school flow trail, that's pretty obvious. Um, if you're on a technical trail, you can do this sometimes. You can just get off your bike and put your eyes like a foot off the ground and look down the trail. Um, you'll see undulations. Even on a, quote, flat fire road, there, there, there's always something going on, right? So we'll use the example of two, two rollers, like say they're 15 feet apart, let's say. 14 inches tall, 15 feet apart. Uh, when I think of riding like in a simple simple way of, of either the act of rowing or anti-rowing. So when you're looking at these rollers, don't think, am I going up or down as much as think, am I going through a trough or am I going over a crest? In, in, hmm. in, at the basic level... Um, and so, by the way, like a crest would be like the rock you're riding over or the log. Or if you jump all your time in the air is, mm -hmm. is the crest of a wave, ideally. Um, when, when you go through a trough, your, your, your feet th – this is the simple version. I'll give you the next version in a sec. Your feet are going down into the hole, and your, and your bike is, is rotating backwards, so your hands are coming towards you. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes and sense. this is something people aren't in touch with generally. But what you'll do in that moment is you'll row, and a row sounds like what you think a row is. You can push with your feet and pull with your hands, or more precisely, brace your core, push with your hips, and pull with your lats. That would be ideal, and and that that does two really rad things. One thing is it manages the angle of the bike so you don't get kicked back. How many of you guys have ever been thrown forward like off a water bar? Oh, yeah. totally. That, yeah, that was one of the big things I noticed. Like that used to be something that happened to me all the time. You'd hit something and you'd get bucked. Yeah, get kicked, kicked forward, like over the front of my bike. Well, like on a jump, right, Nate? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> yes. That's the scariest thing when you go off a jump and you get oh, yeah. kicked forward and you land on your front wheel and you feel like you're going to die. And, yeah. and that's and that, <laughs> yes, that, that, 100%. That generally happens because you haven't pulled the bars toward you. Like when you go, let's say, from a negative 10 degree downslope to a plus 45 degree lip, which would be like a good neutral fun lip, mm -hmm. uh, your bar is swung back at you. Your bike changed angle 55 degrees. It's a lot. Mm -hmm. It's a lot. So if you're on a rip row and you're a normal person, that's a little bit more range than you possess. Mm -hmm. Right. And by the way, when you're in the air, if the, if the takeoff is plus 45 and the landing is negative 30, 75 degrees, it's a yeah, lot of rotation. Lot that's, that's a lot. And if you have a rip row, you'll, you can see. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, max, max range on that would be around 80. No, no, it's, it's designed to be 90. Yeah. So, so, uh, so it's really essential that we learn to row through these troughs. Mm -hmm. And then as you go over the top of the bump, it's an anti-row, which is the opposite. You'll, your feet will come towards you and your hands will go away from you. And if you can add that to your riding in a linear way, that's, that's next level for, for almost everybody. Can I add on to that or like wrap some context around it really sure. quick? So uh, you mentioned like the anti-row thing, you know, where you, that's where your hands extend in front of you. That's, and you mentioned this yesterday and it was interesting. <clears throat> I hadn't thought about that. That's when the cool pictures are taken, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Like when you look at a really fast downhill rider, 
Um, maybe like a uh, Tucker can maybe, uh, maybe we can work on this after, or you can work on it now, Tucker, if you want, but find some pictures of a guy kind of like going off of like a rock drop. In fact, there's one, if you go to the Rip Rose website, there is a clear <laughs> row and anti-row. I'm looking at it right now. Um, with Curtis Keen, yeah, he's, yeah. he's yeah, he anti-rowing should. off of a drop. Right. Um, and you'll see that. And that's what it looks super cool. Right. Um, so that's like, if you're trying to picture row and anti-row, that's a great job. That's a great way to look at it there. Um, now, uh, when you're talking about seeing the trail as, as, as like an ocean, like a series of waves and they just continue what that looks like in the way that a rider rides is that they're, they're linking all of this together. Right. So if you watch, it's great to watch the Enduro World Series re- recaps. I know Pete mm-hmm. and I watch them all the time because mm-hmm. we're Enduro nerds. Like Enduro like, bro. Yeah, you right. guys are well, bros. Yeah. Aspiring, aspiring Enduro. Yes, yeah, exactly. we're Enduro nerds. We're not bros yet. <laughs> yes. So, um, but when we you watch that, you watch a guy like Sam Hill, you're, or you watch, you know, uh, was Isabeau Cordorier, which, whichever rider, you know, the top riders, you watch her. When they're coming into a turn, they don't just let the turn come to them and then they just follow that angle. You know, they're they're you'll look at them and if it's a left turn, they're probably hooking kind of before that turn, they're kind of hooking to the right and they're making a turn to the right and they're loading their suspension and then it unloads with this row and anti-row motion so then they can land with their weight. They row and anti-row through that left turn after that. Yeah, right? like if you're a skier, that feeling of snapping between corner turns oh, is that that's the best that's, feeling in the world. Yeah, and 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 uh yeah, that has loading, unloading, side to side loading, and polyaxial rotation, which are all huge flow triggers. So, yeah. so back to the row anti row, right? Like, it, um, yeah, that that gets you in. It starts to get you in phase with the trail. So yeah. instead of getting beaten up, mm-hmm. or like and like having your head jostle, and as soon as the gyroscopes start getting jostled, you start to feel sketchy, right? So, <laughs> yes, so, so, so true. So that's basic row anti row. At the next, and that's what we talked about when I was here last, mm-hmm. the new edition was, and everybody envisioned this. Um, it's actually on my Facebook. If you want to, uh, okay. yeah, we'll put it in it the uh, forum. Uh, Tucker, you can look up a, this picture because I think the picture really does it justice. I think so. And so, so basically, your hand, your hands control the attitude of the bike. So as we talked about, the hands, your hands should come back towards you when you're going through a hole and away from you when you're going over a crest. Yep. So, so that's the timing of your hands. Is is hole or crest or, or trough or crest. At at the same time, your feet are tracking the up and down. Mm-hmm. And if you ski bumps or moguls, um, it's it's the same deal. So imagine, so you have like a timeline, the timing of your hands and your feet are almost exactly out of phase with each other, mm-hmm. which is, it's like so trippy. And, and, and a lot of you people have felt this that day. Sometimes when you're just too tired to deal and you're going over rollers, you can feel this. And what happens when you overlap those two like dynamics is, is the handlebar has an elliptical path. And so if you watch like a Sam Hill or a um, Jonathan Lee, you know, those that level, <laughs> right? Oh, oh. I was just in the same sentence as Sam Hill. Right? That's pretty good. Um, <laughs> there's no reason. Um, I mean, if you, sorry. With this, with this like, performance. Sorry, sorry to with, Sam, right? Yeah. No, with this performance at Leadville, it makes me wonder how hard you're trying in your endurance, <laughs> in your enduro racing. Um, Thanks for bringing me back down. There you go. Uh, but, but there's this, you can see there's an elliptical path. And yeah. if you're watching good chest cam footage, you'll see the bars being pushed away in a circle. Yeah, you mentioned. 
mentioned that too, Nate. It's funny, like whenever you watch that chess cam footage, you can see it. It's not that just the bars moving in a linear path. No, it's going they away roll, on this. They arc. roll into frame and out of frame and into frame and out of frame. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and it'll kind of pass like by your chest in a way. So that's what's going on at the highest level that I know of today. Mm-hmm. Maybe in two years we'll know better, right? Yeah. Um, so so we, we plug that into bumps. And then here, this gets really interesting. And this is the only drill we did yesterday on the bike. And, and it, it totally worked on the whole mountain. Like we ride waves. A corner is a wave that's sideways. Mm-hmm. That's the deal. That's the deal. There's the old school, like, like lean your bike, load the outside pedal, turn your hips into the turn. Um, that, that works. And everybody should be good at that. Like mm-hmm. edging a turn. Everybody mm-hmm. should know that. Um, at the higher level, you, you can be pumping corners as if they're sideways holes. Mm-hmm. And so like the, the drill I did with you guys yesterday and with we did Nate and I did the heck out of this drill is I call it scalloping. And so let's say there's a 180 degree turn, you'll break it into pieces. 360s, 630s, the sketchier the surface is, the more pieces you'll bite off. Mm-hmm. And so imagine this left turn, you're gonna cup it and there's like the left phase that's effectively the trough and you're going to row through that. And what that's going to do is it's going to actually going to lever the bike through the turn, the way you'd lever a ski through a turn. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to make like a very slight like correction to the right. And that would be the anti row, which is the push phase and you get another row. And so this is what's going on at the highest level. And when you do this, you can propel yourself by turning, which is great. It's amazing. And also, and also you can generate, traction so we talked about like tire right Mm -hmm. like with this style the only limit to your traction is how good your patterning is and how much power you put in and and i've and i've seen all kinds of stuff we just did a cyclocross camp last week in boulder doing this and and we're talking about cyclocross tires on a gravelly dirt road exiting the corner at 20 miles an hour a 90 degree turn right and people not drifting and if, and if you look at the tracks, it's so total CSI, right? Um, <laughs> you, you'll see this like 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 left right wave where the left phase is like a half inch deep, mm-hmm. and then the right like phase is weightless the, and cut into the ground. Yep, mm-hmm. and you're kind of actually making a berm, right? Mm-hmm. So so I hope that makes some sense, and you guys can visualize that. Yeah. So in my mind, like you know, you have the arc of a turn, and if you're scalloping through that turn. What you're going to see is you're going to see a slight left, left, right wiggle instead of just a smooth arc through that turn. Exactly. And, yeah. Go ahead. Um, that the reason, like, I consider that to be a master drill, and the only one we did yesterday, is because it 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 includes cornering at a high level, it includes pumping at a high level. If if you snap the turns hard enough, it includes hopping mm-hmm. and that basic when you're when you're shredding when you're in that mode and you're making waves that basic like cup and you know like change direction like like cup a turn load unload and transition it's like skiing like that is the i think the one of the essences of of shred and mm-hmm. once you have it you can plug it into rocks and corners on trail etc yeah. yeah so okay so this is uh i'm gonna describe it how i thought of it Um, which by the way is really, sorry, but this is a really important thing because you know, the way Lee describes it, the way I describe it, the way Nate describes it, it may all be different, but I've found that like, and I'm sure you found this Lee, 
the same principle just feels different or resonates differently or is explained differently by so many people. Like, like you hear it multiple times. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And it's going to work one of either you're like Nate or John or Lee. Or yeah, that's Jesse. true. And one thing that is cool about having coached like 7,000 people is like, you can see how people react to different yeah. ways of explaining things. Yeah. So Nate. Okay. So on the road, <clears throat> you go in a crit or anything, you take a turn on the road, you kind of get your, you, you know, you get your outside foot down there. There's a point where the turn starts mm-hmm. and you keep the same pressure through the whole turn. I mean, maybe it's a little bit different through the turn, mm-hmm. but it's very smooth. And if you were to do what least just said, break it up to multiple points, everyone will yell at you. <laughs> Cause it'll uh, look like triple apexing or something. Yeah, like exactly. That, right? <laughs> and it will sketch people out. People might crash. Mm-hmm. Um, we have videos of, uh, Keegan Swenson <clears throat> in the flat tire crit racing mm-hmm. yeah. and you see pros doing this on the road Yep, and it looks super sketchy on the road. Cause really what you're trying to do, you're dealing with a variable surface <clears throat> and that's when this sort of thing is really important, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's um, more essential. Like, yeah. like I think that here's a thought, right? Yeah. We want to create the kind of neuro the kind of habits that are simple and repeatable and always available when we really need them, right? Mm-hmm. So I would say, and I understand what you're saying about being in a crit, you can't be messing the crew up, right? Mm-hmm. But I would say that you should pump every corner you make. And I'll bet you a nickel that Peter Sagan is is pumping his corners. Yep. Yeah, and you can we, s- go ahead, Nate. Let me, yeah. let me finish my yeah, whole yeah. thing, because, mm-hmm. um, so yes, yeah, so as you come through a, a, a corner road bike too, there's more pressure at like the, at one point than another mm-hmm. point. Um, but as you were, we were alluding to on a flat fire road or off camber, the, um, you can't c- come into this and increase the pressure slightly as it comes through. And that, that slight increase over time without the weight, um, makes it so you slide out and then it's really scary. Mm-hmm. But what Lee was showing me is during that, because you have limited traction, what we kind of talked before by breaking up into points and weighting down, you raise your traction a whole bunch at little small parts and you get your turning done only with maximum pressure where you can't do that through on a flat. You can do this on a berm, but on a flat fast fire road, you can't have maximum pressure for a long nine degree turn. Mm -hmm, So by breaking up into little teeny points with maximum pressure, Mm -hmm. then you can get maximum tire traction and way more traction over the complete turn than if you were to do like a road bike where you road bike really, you don't, usually run out of you're not worried about that yeah unless you really mess mm-hmm. up or something like that so by doing that and breaking it up and then scalloping through you can get way more traction and and more aggressive small turns which feels right. w- weird but it's worked really well you're getting a lot of turn in a short period of time because you're maximizing that that, that section of traction yep right so you're actually yeah that, does and, that make sense Lee? yeah and make and it's cool to hear you see it say it like you can be you can have inert weight forever you can have a little bit of, bit of weight for a long time, and you can only have a lot of weight for a short time, right? Mm-hmm. And we want to, like, I mean, dude, triple, quintuple your body weight. Like, mm-hmm. it's not that unusual to bottom out a suspension bike by cornering. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is, uh, I think, a shock to people. And this is, to clarify, <clears throat> when we're talking about the weight thing, it's very different than just going through a turn and sitting upright in the turn. And, you know, if it's a 90 degree, doing six different pivots through a 90 degree it's very different than that. It's it's a it's it's the rowing and anti-rowing motion that you're doing through the turn that really makes the magic happen. Right. You know. And, and, and when you watch video and you see people just bounding between corners, like you know, boom, bam, boom, like they're skiing, um, 
and th- this is what they're doing. Yep. This is exactly what they're doing. And like one thing we, this is a nuance, right? But like, as we got, we were going fast yesterday. And, and then I, I kind of dispensed this idea that when you're pumping, it's not up and down, it's a row. So like, like anytime you push with your feet to just anchor back with your lats, like, like draw the bars towards you. And then uh, could you guys feel that extra? Oh, it's insane. That's when we it's started like going really fast. <clears throat> Right. It's like, like we were motor. going fast before that. And then, yeah, like we were going through some sections of trail where you'd have, you know, left, right, left, right. And they'd all kind of have holes. Once again, it's waves that are just turned on their side, right? They're like off axis waves instead of being flat. And we were going through sections. There was one actually where we were going through no pedaling, right? It's an awesome rule to do. If you're in a bike park, mm-hmm. it makes the trail so fun. And it also will show you like. I can generate even more speed. Like you'll come into turns faster mm-hmm. than when you were pedaling. Yeah, I don't know that I could go faster pedaling than it's we were It's pretty crazy. I, I think mm-hmm. I'd be slower. And for mm-hmm. proof of this, look at Aaron Gwynn. He has won state. He's won World Cup DH races with no chain, and 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 on Leo Gang of all things too. Which that one like it's considered pedally. It's considered pedally. Mm-hmm. So like that's that's seriously impressive. And and there were basically in those moments there was one where I came in behind you and just from pumping, uh, we took different lines. And I found like I, I found the the like the, the sweetness, nugget. the nugget, right in that turn. I ended up just like ripping off of that thing, and I had to jam all my brakes because it was so much speed. Like yeah, it, it's crazy. amazing, and and it was generated by without pedaling, wasn't generated because I was going down a steep drop, right? It was generated because of my interaction of rowing and anti rowing with that shape, like you know timing everything right. That there's, sine wave. There's something else brilliant. I want I want to describe. This is the. It'll go very basic and then we'll kind of move it forward. But cool. the row anti row, it can be kind of um, maybe unless you experience it's hard. Yeah. But what I think of is, and this is the basic, and we'll get into more. But for older people, Inspector Gadget, when he has those arms and legs, and he would go over like the city landscape <laughs> yes. and over like, over, like, yeah. over like buildings, and there'd be a big drop. And Inspector Gadget's body would stay exactly the same, yep. but his legs and arms would immediately go out. Yes. And then when he would come up to another building, it would be like a boulder, they would snap back in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So imagine that when you see these guys go down, their upper body isn't moving, mm-hmm. it's their legs and arms. And so that's the basic level. And then if you go more forward, it's, it's what Lee said where they're, it's not, this is not like Inspector Gadget, but it's a circular motion and there's a, um, a little timing between the arms and feet. Yeah. And then that's going through everything because they're, they're not just 90 degree angles. There are these little bowls that happen. Yeah, and right. so if you imagine Inspector Gadget doing that, but still keeping his, his upper body perfectly level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you can absorb everything. And that's what Lee talked about earlier is that shorter riders don't have that range of motion mm-hmm. where um, if like I have long arms and long legs, I can absorb a larger rock or drop farther than Jonathan could mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. this um, keep, while keeping my body level. Which is mm-hmm. an advantage. You can still do totally. it, but yep. you just like Lee said, different technique has to happen. Right. Yep. Right. I want to add yeah. something. Okay. Pete, you talked about the position, like mm-hmm. getting. You call it Lee the triangle of awesome. Yeah, um, that's like the ba- that's the base. And 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 so a lot of people, one of the biggest things that I find, and it's funny because a lot of the time you'll see like a skills coach telling somebody like, try like with light hands, just do that. And, 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 and it's hard though, because it's hard for a person to just think, okay, like, do I just ride, like take my hands off the bars basically? Like then I feel unstable and you have a way of teaching it that I, that I think your way of teaching is like the unique part, um, and why it's so effective. <clears throat> but basically, can you explain what the triangle of awesome is and how, like, you know, it's your base of support, what you ride the bike through? Sure. Um, 
if you want to have sore hamstrings tomorrow, fall along. Yeah, are all of us oh, yeah, sore? Oh, yeah, mine is definitely <laughs> yep. super sore. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty funny. Um, <laughs> so, so, like, first of all, when we ride we downhill, we want to hinge. When you hinge, um, unlike, uh, in a squat, your, your knees go forward and your hips drop basically straight down. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a lot of quad involved in that. If, if you have your quads burning on downhills, uh, I, you're squatting. Which is really common, right? Which it, no, I mean that's ninety something percent of people, everybody. Yeah, and you, and you could be the kind of person who can climb for an hour, but after a minute of descending, your quads go right. Like I have an opinion that your quads aren't that kind of muscle, like a posture muscle. They're more of a kicking and screaming muscle, <laughs> yeah. right? So as so, evidenced by my toddler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So so we want to uh, keep your knees over the middle of your base, let's say, which would be your foot if you're in a square stance, and then roll your hips back so that you fold your torso level and you do keep light hands, okay? That's that's like the start of a deadlift. Um, if you're a linebacker and you're about to take off off the line, it's that position, um, not unlike jumping a horse. Actually, jumping a horse and jumping a bicycle are essentially the same dynamic, same positions, same S- ellipse of love too with the, uh, with the reins. Shout so- out to uh, Shelly Peachel racing Breck Epic right now. She's a podcast listener and she also uh, does dressage, horse jumping, that sort of stuff. Yeah. So she That's probably right. gets it. She That's probably- why probably why she's so good on a bike. It wouldn't hurt. Right. Huh. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. It wouldn't hurt at all. And I hear all the time women will be like, it's all been women so far. Oh, this is like, you know, jumping my horse. So, <laughs> so you're hinged and that's awesome. And most of you will have a hard time just with a hinge with your feet next to each other. Um, next level, of course, we are cyclists. Um, put your feet, you, when you put your feet in pedal position, right, in those positions, um, you're going to notice, most of you, that your your knee, like your like your forward knee is, is way in front of your back knee. Yeah. And there's a big change there. And I'll bet you that that back knee, that's that back leg, that's the quad that hurts most of the time. If you're over 30 and you ride for more than a little bit, uh, your low back will get tired probably mm-hmm. too. Uh, so anyway, what we want to do, picture this. And by the way, the reason for that for that knee offset is because when, when you put one of your feet 350 millimeters in front of the other foot, or these days it's 340, right? I guess things are changing. <laughs> um, uh, y- your forward hamstring is not going to allow that to happen. Right, and so that hip will get pulled forward and down, and so we're uneven on the bike. Yeah, most people are uneven. You guys, as a group, are really good, and mm-hmm. we just had to make a slight tweak. So, so um, you're basically most of y'all. Every bump you've ever hit on a mountain bike, you've done it with a crooked body. Mm-hmm. And, and that's and why the bike goes crazy. That's one of the reasons, right? <laughs> like it's a really awful athletic position. So what we tried to do, and and Pete was pretty exquisite at it yesterday, um, is do your hinge, but keep your knees next to each other, not pinching, but as if they share a pivot. And you're going to feel a, a massive stretch in your forward hamstring and probably in your rear calf, probably. Mm-hmm. And and a lot of people don't have the range. So so what that does is it is it is it locks you in. You can see this on a lot of downhillers and especially BMXers, is it, it lock, your knees are next to each other. They happen to be right above your bottom bracket. Mm-hmm. Not so, in front. Not in front. If, if you're, <laughs> dude, I can, you can see from a mile away, knees in front of the bottom bracket. So Jonathan, how do your quads feel right now? Oh, they kind of burn, right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, so uh, you lock your, basically lock your knees in above the bottom bracket and you create this triangle of awesome. Mm-hmm. And this is deeper, like in, 
knowledge for me, right? That that creates a really stable base. And one of the bonuses of it is your the angle between your your hips and your femurs are the same on both sides. Mm -hmm. So you can ride with both hips and you're way stronger, you're way, well, well how did it feel, Pete? Yeah, so that was um, one of the things that uh, made it so much better for me is, like you said, setting up for a deadlift. I always learned you screw your feet into the ground mm. where you tension everything up so it's like uh, twisting a washcloth. If you twist a washcloth, it's super firm and sturdy. Mm -hmm. um, so rather than like pinching my knees on my frame, I really screwed in my feet and made the, like pulled the triangle firm, I guess, is, would be the way to do it. Um, but that way, like you said, it changed. all the, all the, Every time I hit something, it just my body and the bike just absorbed it, right? It was like uh, I was in the right position once we changed that, and then everything got easier. It it didn't it didn't change the way I rode. It just everything was less. It's yeah, crazy like bumps, turns, jumps, everything. You know, rocky shoots, lines, mm -hmm. drops, like everything yeah. improved. Yeah, it's it's, and I think a lot of it is because. You know, we, if you tell a person to ride with light hands and they just put it into their feet, but it's not a stable base of support, then they're not going to be stable. They're not right? going to be stable. And also, like, um, I mean, as you all know, like mountain biking is a little bit dynamic. So, so to, 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 to maintain static weight and try to keep your hands weightless is, is hard. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right, but yeah. then remember, we're we don't we're not static, are we? Yeah. So we're always very light or very heavy. Of course, in the light moment, your hands are light, everything's light, mm -hmm. you weigh zero. Um, and in the heavy moment, like okay, imagine you have a pogo stick, and you try to balance on it without it bouncing. Like how hard would that be? <laughs> Tough. How hard. tense would your hands get? Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then bounce, right? And so that balance is dynamic. So, so when we have this like quote locked in, or let's say use the word engaged triangle of awesome, a good hinge, um, the inner unit of your core, we can talk about if you want, um, yeah. is on, um, and you're being dynamic, you, you have a lot more balance, a lot more, right? And, and you can't hinge, or if your triangle of awesome isn't set, you can't hinge correctly or have your core engaged. Right, yeah. like that's the step mm. one. So as soon as as soon as I firmed up my knees, then my core was engaged, and then I could hinge because my core was engaged. That's so, fascinating, dude. I, mean, I haven't heard that. Yeah, that's so cool. that was definitely step one, and I couldn't do step two or three without doing step one. And <laughs> as soon as I did step one, the rest fell into place. It, it makes total sense. Step one being your knee alignment, because mm -hmm. if that if that's not aligned, your hips are crooked. Mm -hmm. And then your your core is going to be compromised. And then, like, I have a theory, right, that the lizard that runs your body, right, yeah. doesn't want to be dismembered, you know, and it wants to keep things together. Yeah, yeah, especially like your brain and spinal cord, right? Yeah. And I have a theory. I, I see. I see this. It's not a theory. This is experience. Yeah. That when you're crooked, your lizard knows, dude. Like, I'm fundamentally not a sound structure right now. Mm -hmm. And that, that's going to add nervousness. It's going to cut your power. And I believe firmly that, like, whatever you're – I, I want to hear from Pete on this because, you know, crit racer, right? Like, mm -hmm. if your core is not on, you cannot access full power, right? Oh, for sure. And I, I, what I always think about is when I'm attacking or putting out real power in a road race, I'm, like, engaged, right? Everything's switched on. And then that's when I can actually put out real power. The rest of the time I'm floating at, like, some percentage of mm -hmm. full engagement, but there you go, right? And so that would apply too to hitting bumps, pumping, um, braking hard. 
I mean, yeah. like I forget the exact math, but like if you're breaking and pulling a G, right? Like it's like 1.8 times your body weight or something like that. That's or you could potentially be pulling three Gs in a corner. Mm -hmm. So yeah. you need to be strong just to, I mean, you'll, you'll get the jowls of, of doom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like your cheeks <laughs> will fall down. down, right? Yeah. Pull down. Maybe you can brace that too. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. But, but, but this is, this is a big deal, right? Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. and, and a lot of people, so like the biggest example I have is technical climbing because it's so A, B, like I made it or I didn't. It's easy to measure. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of people are like, oh, this is the – I was in Peoria, Illinois, and they had a thing called the unclimbable climb. Ooh, that's a good Ooh. challenge. You're yeah. excited for that. Well, yeah, yeah. and of course yeah. it needs a new name, right? When I'm not a terrible rider <laughs> yeah. so much, so and I and I did my core and I drove with my hips like on the rip row and I got right up and everybody was impressed. But I was like, you guys, like this is not magic. Like – Everybody in the group is about to do this. Everybody. And they did. And and uh, there's there's these points where we just kind of like your legs are turning and all of a sudden they stop turning. Yeah. Like it's not because you like couldn't turn the gear. It's like a switch goes off in your head. And, and, and but if you if you engage your core, right, I'm looking at Pete, like that switch might not go off, right? And you might be able to sustain, especially if it's technical. That's an interesting point on the technical climbs. I've had days. Where it's just like like yeah you can't get up anything mm -hmm. you know what I mean, and it may be because you are excessively fatigued and as a result you're not engaging right. Yep. But that's something like I I honestly cannot wait to get out to a, a particular switchback and actually put the, a lot of this stuff in in practice right now that I have in my mind. So I recently a few weeks ago was out riding and I just, just sensed a disturbance in the forest kind of. I was like, and my shoulders <laughs> were hurting more than they normally do, and, and I was like, dude, you know what? Something's wrong with my form. I was like, this is not cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and so I, I I teach for a living, and we have other people who teach. And Kevin Stifler is my main guy. Yeah, um, and I trained him up from a square, you know, really like from the bottom. But then I I contacted him and said, Kevin, I need you to coach me, dude. Right? <laughs> like I need it. It's it's time. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. And we're doing this long, horrible climb. It's called Belcher Hill. It's down by Golden. Uh -huh. And um, and I wasn't doing so good. And I even told him I've been having a hard time with this. And he's all, Sir, your core is off. I'm all, huh. He's all, do you know how I know? I'm all, how? He's like, because your elbows are out. Because that's your, are you compensating? Is that why? He like said, no, I just, I just didn't have my lats engaged. And so my uh, elbows were out uh, just a little bit. Uh -huh. And I was like, oh, dude, of course. So then, of course, your, your lats are part of your core. And they uh -huh. attach to your glutes, right? Yeah. So, like, I was just like, oh, thanks, Kevin. And I, and I, and I brought that in. And then just doing that action subconsciously, like, braced my inner inner core. And da-da, easier. Like, and, 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 and I know better, right? Yeah. But it's so good sometimes to be told. And, like, how many times did I tell you guys to get lower over the weekend? Oh, so, yeah. Like, yeah, all the time. So, yeah. so, Kevin, too. I'm out. I'm like, all right, dude, here we go. Segment one. How was it, Kevin? He's like, that was pretty smooth, but you got to be lower. I'm like, no way. So we go again, right? And I get lower, and it's better. And I'm like, how was that, Kevin? You got to be lower, dude. So I found it, and I think you mentioned this. It's something like six inches below your wherever when you look when you think you're really low mm -hmm. and if you're really good at being low and you think you're low, try four to six inches lower. Yeah, yeah do more. <laughs> so I have a question on this because you've said this 
maybe more than any other student you ever said to about me getting lower. Like every you're, time. you're very tall. Hey, Lo, or hey, Nate, nice to see you get lower. Um, <laughs> you get the Christmas cards say, yeah. Merry Christmas, uh, yeah. happy, uh, and get lower. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, so in the high hinge, I, um, my quads can be deactivated. Right. But when I get low in hinge, I can do that for a little while, but then I get so tired in my quads, and then I like, I just can't do it anymore. Mm. Is uh, that a position thing, or does that just happen if you get really low? You know, um, if if so. By the way, like a hinge is to fold your torso level. Mm-hmm. You can you can do this really low with your knees bent. You can do this really high with your legs straight. When your legs are in the high hinge, number one, it's it takes way more hamstring, so a lot of you can't do it. But when you can do it, your quads will turn off 100%. You look like Matthew Vanderpool. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's exactly what you look like, Nate. Yeah, yeah. so you see. Wait, wait, say that again, Pete. <laughs> you look yeah. exactly like Matthew Vanderpool. <laughs> that's that's, the best pretty, that's pretty good, right? Yeah. Um, and, then, and, and so that's zero quad, all hamstring, basically. But... Mm-hmm. Um, when you get in a low hinge, there's more quad, but not a ton. It's like the start point of a deadlift, a good one. So, so like it, Nate, something to try is just um, it sounds like your knees have tracked forward just a little bit. Mm-hmm. And by the way, your knees tracking forward and your shoulders coming high are related to each other. Oh yeah, because it, 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 it pulls you out of your hinge. Yeah. yeah, so your butt comes forward and your shoulders come up, which is like standard. I'm tired or I'm afraid behavior, right? So, so just take your knees and try pushing them back like an inch. Like everybody can do that, right? I think the mental cue I might have on that is when I get low, make sure my butt is back because if that happens, it's going to mm-hmm. bring my knees back, and my shoulders down, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So something itch. I, my my <clears throat> quads never get tired on descents. Basically, ever. We don't care, John. And what, <laughs> that sounds <laughs> great. No, no, what I'm getting it's at. It's easy. Let no, it yeah, no, I know. I know. Let it was boring. What, what gives out are um, the, the, the hamstrings and glutes. That's what starts to get truly tired. Yeah, that's when you know you're doing it right. And, and like, uh, we're going to have, we're going to be doing EWS North Star next weekend. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have like a 12 or 13 minute stage. Yeah. And that one has some pedaling in it. And, and, and also, I mean, Nate, you can speak to this when we didn't, uh, when we didn't pedal yesterday down those, down those things, were you breathing hard afterward? Oh yeah. <laughs> like, right. Like, 100%. like not, not pedaling mm-hmm. and we're still completely exhausted on those stages. It's going to, that's going to be the tough thing. Like, so Lee on lo- on long climb or long descents like that. Cause that's common. People are like, yeah, I'm totally fine on my normal trails. And I go to Downingville or I go to Colorado or I go to Moab, Utah and I ride, you know, long descent, something like that. And then, like, you know, then I really start to get fatigued, that sort of stuff. How do you manage that? Or Well, you know? like, like one thing would be a big one is this specific bike mobility, mm-hmm. hamstring. Well, no, it's not that specific. I think everybody should have a good hamstring and a start, strong core. That's mm-hmm. basic humanity, right? Mm-hmm. S- start with that so you can get into the positions. Um, with a beginner, I just tell them, if you're on a downhill, be low. So we have to make the habit and whatever scrolls by you, you can deal with. But, but as you get the hang of this stuff, you, if it's smooth and you can see that it's smooth or not, there's nothing going on, you can go to your high hinge and then turn your quads off. And basically a lot, you see a lot of pro like XC cyclocross racers doing this. Mm-hmm. You can do a lot of resting. Mm-hmm. And then when you see something coming, go back into your low hinge and execute. That's what mm-hmm. you'll see these guys doing. Um, watch EWS for that too. That's like a, because these guys have long days. Right. 
long stages, watch some of those recaps on pink bike and you'll see them in a fully relaxed position. Then they get to a drop and it's just boom. boom. Yeah. And it's instant. instant. It's yeah, instant. Yeah. And so like, here's another, maybe a tip. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and this applies for the road bike as well. Like, um, do you guys ever, like when you get out of the saddle and start pedaling, do you feel like more quad? Do you feel your quads go? I mean, depending on the position, usually I feel like I'm passing when I go stand out of the saddle, I'm usually passing it to the posterior chain Mm -hmm. more than the, that's, that's where you want to have it. Most, most, a lot, I know a lot of people where their quads will just blow up on, on when they get out of the seat, Mm -hmm. um, and on the mountain bike, you know, so, uh, like say you're on that enduro stage and there's a roller, it sounds like you're doing it right. Like understand that, like, I'm going to simplify, like. No, I don't know if it's simplification. Like when we're on a bike, we should be somewhere in the hinge continuum. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You can stand upright. You can be hinged on a downhill. If you're in the drops on a road bike, you're pretty freaking hinged, right? Yeah. You're hinged. So everything should happen on the hinge continuum. So when you come out of the saddle to get some strokes to get over one of those rises, um, like bring your hips forward in that hinge pattern. And then like Jonathan said, then all the, a lot of the work is in the posterior chain, mm-hmm. way more powerful. Right, Pete? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. That's something that, but, um, okay, yeah, please can I say ahead. something please. else? Um, if you're tired and you're like losing your ability to like, control your bike, yeah. uh, stop. That's a super, yeah. that was actually the point that I was, we're on yeah. the same wavelength. <laughs> Lee, you and I are going through Dude, the, I know. the sign wave of love right now. <laughs> we are. And, uh, and, and, and the butterflies of magic. We have yeah, those at North We had those, yeah, yeah. Butterflies everywhere. Um, that's a really good point because sometimes you get so tired, right? Or, or you can be going so fast, right? And if you feel like you're going too fast. You are. Or if you feel like you're too tired, you, you are. are. Right? Yeah. And it's okay to turn it down. Yeah, and stop, I mean, right? yeah, I mean, if, if you're not racing, have a stop. Like we were stopping, like I, I did a full run the other day on my own and that's fun in its own way. Right. Yeah. Um, but if you're pinning it, right, just s- stop between segments. Like, like I, I have a feeling that, well, that peak experiences are kind of amazing, right? Mm-hmm. They're peak experiences, like flow yeah. states. So, like, if, if you can, like, break a long downhill into four pieces during which e- you can go hard, get her done, and achieve flow, then that's a, that's a huge stoke, and that's enough to last a week. Mm-hmm. And so, so that's, I think, better and more satisfying. And, and, by the way, safer than trying to do a long one at 66%. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's, it's just not fun to like drag your brakes and be exhausted down a hill. Right. Mm-hmm. So stopping is totally kosher. And by the way, like uh, I've been listening to this guy, Ken Hill, he's a motorcycle road race dude. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and his podcasts are great. <clears throat> and a whole episode on when should I break? And he's like, when you think you're going too fast. <laughs> Podcast over. <laughs> Done. <laughs> he had other nuance about cornering, but that's what he said. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, that's a great point. Nate, you mentioned something with flat versus level feet that yeah. being the, something that helped you too. Lee, like um, mm. there's a long time where I thought I always had to have one foot down. If I'm turning left, mm. I always have to have my right foot down all the way, no matter what the terrain is. And then um, I think I've improved a lot by having level feet in some cases or maybe um, to uh, at the beginning level feet. And then we worked on kind of pushing into the turn. Uh, can you kind of describe that about why would you want to do? Sure. So like uh, everything that I know of that's worthwhile is on a continuum. 
And um, on one end of the continuum, there's just this like sick berm mm. that was actually like measured. We used to, when I built pump tracks, I would measure the angles of the berms because you kind of know the speeds that fast people go. Yes. And you know, because of velocity and radius, how many, what, how many Gs they're pulling and what the resulting net angle is. So you make your berm steeper than that. You can feel when math is good. <laughs> yeah, you ride good yeah. math. math is, oh, it's incredible. Ma- math is good, and measuring yeah. is free, yeah. by the way, <laughs> generally, right? So so on one end of the continuum, there's a berm. And it, and that a berm is not cornering. A berm like that is pumping sideways. Mm-hmm. That's on one end of the continuum. So keep your feet level. You have way more range of motion, way more pumping power. On the other end of this continuum is a corner that you – okay, here you go. Basic rider. Um you just want to make the turn. It, it maybe mm-hmm. it's sketchy. You're worried about it. Um, you're gonna put your outside foot down, and and putting the outside foot down like that, especially if you can like engage it, like the way you'd engage a ski. There are a lot of A's in engage, right? <laughs> engage. Yeah. That was a long radius turn. Um, <laughs> then, then that gives you the least amount of pumping power, but good edge. Mm-hmm. And so there's a continuum. And in and, and the very, very beginning, I would say, if there's a berm, feet level. Mm-hmm. If there's a flat turn, foot down. And so like, like, like uh, Nate, he expressed really kind of f- vehemently that he wanted to work on flat turns, right? And so um, the first thing we did is I asked him to do a figure eight in the parking lot. And... And what I had taught him before he had learned, like he had good classic, like foot down, lean the bike, turn the hips, form, awesome. But it's it is static, right? And so mm-hmm. so what I, what I, what we did in the parking lot is we taught him how to pump corners, and um, you can pump a corner more effectively with your feet level, mm-hmm. honestly, right? Mm-hmm. So so we started to like scallop and like scoop and pump the corners, and uh, we had to add air to your rear wheel because you were hitting it so hard. Nice, um, ripping the tire off the rim. Yeah, total bra. That's, that's, yeah, that's, yeah. Some, that's some points right there. Throwing some yeah. devil's horns. That's brop with three A's. Yeah. Um, and, and so uh, what happened was uh, you the more confident you got with the pumping, the more level you feet, your feet stayed. You mm. see riders with their feet at a 45-degree angle. They're, they're, they're eight cranks. Mm-hmm. That's a compromise of pump and mm-hmm. edge. And so this is what happens, right? As you become more confident and as like the grand unified theory of shred like percolates yes. into your nervous system, right? <laughs> um, it, that, you that's pump. That's a true process right there. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll tell you when I'm done, right? Yeah. <laughs> I have 30 years on, on it so far. So, so then you start to pump more often. And so your predisposition will be you'll enter corners with level feet. Mm-hmm. If you have the triangle of awesome dialed, you ready? There's no real functional difference between left foot forward and right foot forward. Yeah, it's true. So then you switch and right turn, right foot forward, left turn, left foot forward. Um, and then, and so that's the big thing I wanted for Nate was to like become more dynamic and really apply power into the corner. And, and you did it, dude. Yeah. Oh, you did. cruising yesterday. I'm a, a lot faster on flat. I dropped Pete on a flat well, corner. When we yeah, were, you did. When we were this pumped. is the first time ever in anything. Yeah, yeah. No, it was amazing. <laughs> we were, I was, we were doing the, the no pedal thing and just pumping and ripping down like a fun trail called Coaster um, up there at North Star. And uh, I was like, cool. Lee's on my tail. I can hear his tires. You know what I mean? I'm like listening to your tires behind uh, me and everything uh, else. And then we get to the bottom. I'm like, that's Nate. That wasn't Lee. Like it blew my mind. Yeah, thank like, you, Lee. It's so cool. You really have a, uh, it took, it took a while to sink in. And I think too, like I, I knew all the things and I just had to just keep practicing 
and um, hear it differently or have a good I think it, that's just really the thing just doing though, it in, to a lot of times yeah, on the instruction it. side of things too like it takes a, a very like you, you're a very you're a very good teacher like you are very much sensei like thank you because you you can like look at a person and then understand how they can get tied in to that sign wave that they need to have, but they need to do it maybe in you know a slightly different way than right. another person. Yeah, it's, there's it's like, like the methodology experience. or like the 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 um, the flow chart that I've actually designed out of how to teach like in general. Yeah, but ultimately we're human. So can I yeah. say something about Nate? Yeah. So there's this bell curve of riders. Nate's outside it now too. Big time. Oh, yeah, like for on sure. The, for on the sure. fast end. Like, for everybody that thinks that, like, oh, yeah, Nate's, like, because you've probably listened to this podcast for some time. If you're thinking this sort of a thing, you're like, Nate's the guy that's the, that needs to work on bike handling. Everyone needs to work on bike handling. But Nate is might even – he's probably faster than you if you're listening to this. Statistically like, <laughs> speaking, there's no question that he's faster than you. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> two, yeah. it's, two years ago was different, and I, right. I am better. Oh, yeah. I used to be really bad, um, so I'm improving. Yeah, um, but, but but I don't want you to I'm say I'm, I'm better because that sounded equivocative, equivocative, right? right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what I'm telling you is that you're really good, and I'm decent, right? And you, you're leading me, and I'm on your wheel, and when you're connecting shapes that I miss, and I'm pedaling, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, that's proper good speed, it's you know, cool. like you mm-hmm. you know, like the 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 thing that's missing right now is just jumping. Mm-hmm. But, oh, that'll, yeah. but that'll come. Segway. With that, and actually, ah. we're going to go into some live questions from people. Yeah, because, fun. fun. Uh, First question talks about jumping. Exactly right. Mm-hmm. Somebody says, Haley, how do I stop becoming a dead sailor when jumping? So we should describe what a dead sailor is first. A dead When you, when you jump and you're just f- fixed in the air and your <laughs> limbs are dead, are just locked. Yeah. And your teeth are gr- right now, and your teeth are gritting. That's that's considered a dead sailor. And and we've all felt that because you feel like you're along for a ride, yeah. which you did not sign up for. Yeah, you're a, a hunk of meat hurtling to an uncertain fate. Yes, exactly right. Exactly right. It's a terrifying feeling, and you feel like my inevitable contact with the ground is going to be very unpleasant with this trajectory I'm following. Right, like that. Like that. <laughs> I can't that, do anything about it. That forward rotation is 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 the process of being flung onto your face. Yes. And sometimes you get saved because there's a landing. Yeah. <laughs> but if but but sometimes you go too fast, you hit a bigger jump and the landing, you know, like if you're rotating at like a rate of X degrees per millisecond, yeah. um, it's just a matter of time. You just hopefully you land first. Okay, so yeah. so how do you avoid the dead sailor? Yep. Um picture the transition from, let's say it's just a simple jump, like where it's flat ground, 45 degree lip, maybe eight feet out is a 30 degree mm-hmm. landing. That would be like a good, like kind of aggressive, but nice learning tabletop, let's say, mm-hmm. right? When you transition from level to the lip, your bars are going to rotate back 45 degrees. Your bike's going to rotate 45 degrees. So just like Imagine that. Like, that's a lot of handlebar movement, right? And I promise, promise, promise you that you are not pulling. You're either following YouTube advice and pushing into the lip, (laughs) which basically pushes your body back. Therefore, the back tire catches and you get flung forward. Or you're just 
too static. And, and honestly, like like a lot of you who are good trail riders will say, oh, I can hit like long, low trajectory jumps just fine. Quote, DH jumps. Yeah. But dirt jumps scare the heck out of me. It's because a dirt jump, like a mellow, like a reasonable dirt jump is a 45 degree takeoff. Yeah. A proper dirt jump is a 60 or 70 degree takeoff. They look like a wall. They look like, dude, yeah, I know, right? And, and uh, <laughs> time and space like could just constrict and yes. make that thing look vertical. Yeah. So, so the big thing here is like your bike's going to change angle as you go through the lip. So you just have to pull the bars to you. Row, do the row. Like push, your feet will push into the lip. All of your body weight always should be in your feet. No body weight should ever be in your hands. Mm-hmm. There it is. So you're going to row through the lip. You can draw those hands back. If you draw the hands back, like imagine, right? Like there's a lever between your bottom bracket and your hands. For me, it's 78 centimeters long. And then there's a lever between the bottom bracket and your rear hub, which on my bike right now is 430. Mm-hmm. There's a leverage ratio there. Just to say it's two to one, easy. Mm-hmm. Um, when you row through a lip, by the way, this is how you bunny hop. Um, you're pushing with your feet, so they could be that could be 500 pounds. If, you, if you're Pete, it's 2,000 megatons. <laughs> yeah, his pop is ridiculous, right? Yep. It's a lot of deadlifting, right? Yeah. yeah. I need to do more now that no, I know. <laughs> so so um, you, you're getting that, that pressure from your feet, but more importantly, you're levering through the – frame and that's levering the rear wheel under the ground so that gives you takeoff so okay back to this you're coming into the lip into the face of the jump you row through the lip so when the back tire leaves the ground it's actually being like levered and flicked Mm -hmm. into the air and this is important rather than freezing you immediately go into an anti-row and as soon as you get into the air you bring your feet up and you push your hands away and then meet the landing Mm-hmm. And so it's an it's like the arc of the covenant, right? Like you arc <laughs> through the lip, you arc through the air as you pass through apogee. That's where you're gonna throw your little whip, yeah, by the way, yeah. or your little like bar turn, yeah. right? <laughs> or take a tear off, off, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Or adjust your clutch lever, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and then <laughs> like and then it. you're gonna nose the bike into the ground. So it's 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 really simple the way we do this nowadays. It's like pumping, hopping, jumping, and cornering are all row anti row. Yep. And that's that's the deal. One of my favorite things that you taught me yesterday was the speed at which you take whatever whatever it is you're accommodating, like whatever the wave, whether it's a rock or anything, your speed corresponds with the speed that you row and anti-row. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was a good switch that got flipped in my, my brain where like John, watching John take the, those little doubles as fast as he possibly could, he just had to row faster and anti-row faster to Way accommodate, faster. right? Yeah. But mm-hmm. that means you can, it's, there's a, the finesse of you hitting something has to do with your speed and the correlation between the way you row and anti-row should be directly correlated to the speed you're taking something. Um, right, right, like like the terrain is scrolling below you. Yeah. Right. So your bike is gonna make angle changes. It's gonna mm-hmm. do it. Right. So you really, it would behoove you to be in phase with that. And exactly. And I feel like people know what they're supposed to do, but their timing is wrong. Or yeah, yeah like, right? like 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 a. Um, these are fast movements, dude. Like, yeah, super like, fast. Like, like when Jonathan was hitting that jump, I challenged – Jonathan was jumping a jump easy yesterday. So when you want to get air, you row all the way through the lip 
and then you anti-row in the air. Mm -hmm. um, Jonathan, it was so easy. And then, and like some of the, the rest of us were working on basic jumping. So Jonathan needed like an extra AP assignment. Mm -hmm. So I challenged him to, <laughs> to quote, push through, which is a bmx -y thing. And when you push through, you row earlier. And as soon as the front tire tips its way over the, the lip, you anti-row and push the bike across. You do the same thing when you're going across a big rock or hopping a log, mm -hmm. same deal. And okay, so like, how long let's say that lip was five and a half feet mm -hmm. well, you were going fast mm -hmm. at 15 miles an hour that five and a half feet is a quarter second but you weren't going 15 yeah, it's probably going 30 or you, over you're going 30 so that's a quarter second mm -hmm. and and he needs to get that like basically the second part of the row and the complete anti-row in that moment of time and that's like 30 inches of of travel yeah. in your arms right in yeah. a quarter of a second right and the more powerful you are and the faster you can punch bruce lee style like the faster you can ride <laughs> safely mm -hmm. that's yeah. the deal right yeah do you have that on video yeah we do. yeah i knew I can, I can send it to him well put him on the forum yeah. and do you have it where he took it as an actual jump too yeah okay let's let's put both those of jonathan because it's it, to me that was a really interesting way to see that mm -hmm. where one way is lots of air and another way is it's like with the uh, the row where he goes across it, where you, you, you there's tire, like almost no air. Yeah, my front tire stayed on the ground over the top. You and did. that's faster. Yeah, yeah. If you're I mean, racing. Yeah, I mean, if you're most spending time. Yeah, most of the time, if you're spending time up in the air, it's probably going to be a bit slower than being lower. Mm -hmm. But that's right. like Unless it's really rocky or something where exactly. you want to be not on the ground. Um, mm -hmm. Probably <laughs> for us, that's not motocross. That would be important, but for us, like. Yeah, we don't People think don't of it very get, much. Yeah, yeah. But but yeah. but most most well, first of all, most listeners are have been pushing through mm -hmm. for years. They just don't <clears throat> know any different, right? You're mm -hmm. sucking it up, right? Um, excuse me, sorry about that. Um, mm -hmm. I just lost it. But I'll, I'll <laughs> say this: I I found something different. Like traditionally, when when you want to absorb a jump, and Jonathan was doing this first, mm -hmm. you you just push down really hard before the the jump and then as the you go up the jump like you basically unweight pull your feet towards you yep it's a very up and down thing mm -hmm. and if it's a small enough jump you can do that but once the jump gets taller than your legs are long right mm -hmm. or your effective range of motion it needs to be that row anti-row otherwise you'll get you get bucked and a lot of you guys especially like for a water bar let's say you're going really fast and you mm -hmm. try to absorb a water bar but the back tire kicks you really like at that level of speed and aggression you you need it to be a row anti-row yeah completely agree um, something that uh, another point on this one or i guess another, another question and i'm excited <clears throat> this one was asked because it's going to lead me into, and possibly you too, into a bit of a rant on modern geometry. I'm saying that in quotes. Right. <clears throat> so uh, Trey says, how do you estimate appropriate body weight to put over the front tire over a given surface or corner? And how do you flirt with a limit? What a so, great awesome question, question, right? Because so, <clears throat> I, can, can I just jump in really quick to like yeah, set the scene for this? Yeah. Okay. Totally. So, so I want, like, I'm going to give you a tall T if you're a golfer right now, right? We're going <laughs> to, so uh, modern so this modern geometry thing is tossed around by bike companies a ton right now. And what they're really referring to Lee, right. Is like a longer front center, meaning that like from the bottom bracket forward, the frame is longer. Yep. And then there are bike reviewers that are reviewing these bikes. And what they say is like, Oh, well, <clears throat> this is a modern geometry bike one of the new ones. So you totally have to change the way you ride. And you have to get your weight. <laughs> I just saw a Twitch with me. I know, right? <laughs> and they're like, you have to ride it differently because you have to get, it's too hard to get weight over the front tire. 
And um, I've fundamentally disagreed with that. And I found <laughs> solace in the fact that you also fundamentally disagree with that. I felt like I found I a, a, a safe place and a good friend when I, 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 I heard think, that. I think we're safe. Uh, <clears throat> I'm still going to go out and, and that one Strava you have, yeah. dude, that's not going to last. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but why? So I guess talking about maybe the best way to take about this, you take it however you wish, but whether it's talking about modern geometry and that sort of reach thing in that relationship or talking about just worrying about how much weight you should distribute over the front. Okay. However so you want to unpack it. Here's a thought, right? <clears throat> when you're, all of your weight is in your feet, that's a hundred percent, right? So mm -hmm. none on the seat, none on the hands, honestly, you're in the middle of the bike. And if there's no weight on the bar, you are able to pull and push the bar and manage terrain. Mm -hmm. If you're if you have weight forward on the bar, it makes it really hard to pull push. If you have weight back on the bar, which is what people do when they're afraid, it's hard to control the bike. And mm -hmm. and basically, it's it, it, this is a terrible fact. I said this last time I was here. If you're a little too far forward, you get beaten up and you flop over the bars. Mm -hmm. If you're too far back, you get beaten up and flung over the bars, <laughs> yeah, right? Because it's a trebuchet. Yeah, yeah. it's a trebuchet, right. full on. Yeah. And I have, a, I, have a, front. I have a non-union broken collarbone right here, right? <laughs> and to prove that. Yeah. Um, so so uh, the only safe place to be, honestly, is in the middle of the bike, heavy feet, light hands. Um, before modern geometry, right, <laughs> TM. <laughs> <laughs> like our bottom brackets were relatively close to the middle of our bikes mm -hmm. and so like let's say when you put all your weight on your feet by the way one reason like a road bike or cross bike just corners at such a high level is because your feet are pretty close to the middle of the bike Mm -hmm. Right, like mm -hmm. like the front center isn't so long, and the yeah. stays might be long, mm -hmm. right? So that's that's a thought, right? And it's more analogous to where you put the binding on a, on a um, alpine ski. Yep, totally. Okay, so uh, traditionally bikes have have had like. Um, a little bit of a rearward weight bias, but not a lot, mm -hmm. and so that puts enough weight on the bar on the on the front wheel. And if and if and and so level one, you have neutral weight, mm -hmm. forty percent of your weight roughly is on the front wheel. Your hands are light, so the bars are able to like track your undulations, and you can corner correctly. Right. W one thing that's going on with these um, modern bikes is that front center is getting longer. In some cases, the rear ends are still getting shorter, but more companies are lengthening the rear ends, but they're not lengthening the rear ends in proportion with the lengthening of the front ends. Mm -hmm. So your your weight bias is getting farther back. So, I mean, it wouldn't be a big deal to have 65%, 63%, no, 68% on the back wheel. Mm -hmm. So if when you're neutral, of course, that's less weight on the front end, mm -hmm. right? So, so um like people will kind of say in like a in kind of like a big wooden mallet mm -hmm. way that oh bro you got to put more weight on the bars right yeah. what i would say is first of all like something you said just now Jonathan it's like yeah bike makers saying you got to change the ride cuz you can't put enough weight on the front end yeah. like dude that's not good biking yeah, like, right. like, like yeah. what if you just kind of like found a, a a spot that worked everywhere right mm -hmm. but anyway you know so <laughs> so so what i would say is is when you and i feel this i'm a human being right when you put weight on the front end of the bike it, it doesn't track through bumps as well it it, it physically can't corner as well you get mm -hmm beat up right mm -hmm. um so so let's say you have less weight on the front end 
Okay. Well, what we've learned, what we've learned today, class, is that when we corner, we're heavy. We load the bike. Depending on the mood in the corner, maybe you go 2x body weight, 3x body weight, 4x, 5x. Mm-hmm. Body weight. Okay. So then your, your modern Broham geometry bike has 32% of your weight on the front end. Well, if you double the weight, it's twice as much, and that's more. So at the basic level two Kung Fu level, you just load the whole bike through your feet. And you're the gonna whole have more. bike is going to be heavier. You're going to have more. You're saying like the bike is connected, like the front and rear wheels are on the same bike. <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, that's so crazy. <laughs> and you know what I would like to say is is your body alignment, your body position is a function of your proportions. It was decided mm-hmm. before you were born, mm-hmm. right? And that's what it is. And the bike does what it does, right? Mm-hmm. So so that that's level one, right? Level two, no, that that's level two. Level 86, right? <laughs> and, and I remember we just did this the other day with Nate, and we did a little of this yesterday, is, is this row anti-row business, where as you enter the, like the entry of a corner, imagine you're on flat ground and you're about to drop into a hole. Mm-hmm. You would like anti-row and push the front end into the hole. The front of a corner is the same thing, it's just sideways, basically. The beginning mm-hmm. of a corner is the same thing sideways. So what we were practicing yesterday is we were not putting body weight into the bars. We were putting power, upper body power into the bars, and that's loading the front end. And it's not unlike skiing, alpine skiing, where you're bolted to the middle of the ski. That's where your weight is, dude, right? Mm -hmm. No matter what. You can't change that. Can't change that. But you have this lever in form of a boot. So when you come into the corner, the the way you would lever with your bars, like lever the front end into a turn, you lever the front of the ski into a turn, they both bite. And then as you row through the turn, or as on the skis, as you you lay into the back of the ski, you get that propulsion Mm -hmm. and the snap. Mm -hmm. So I would say with the modern bike, um, with any bike, the four-aft weight distribution is determined by the bike. Mm-hmm. If you increase the amount of weight, then you get more on both ends, and that'll suffice. If you add this row anti row business, um, then then there's a whole other level. Yeah, honestly. So something interesting with this photographic proof of this sort of a thing. <clears throat> if you look at the best ascenders, uh, Loic Bruni, looking at Nate Pearson, you know. <laughs> I was gonna say I just pointed to you, yeah. Jonathan yeah. Lee. Yeah. Yeah. If you look at them, Loic's a great example of this. Like I, I can't get enough of watching that guy's technique. It's, a, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> He's like a hovercraft. Forgive me. But <clears throat> they are very low. And when I say very low, sometimes you won't even be able to see the chin of their helmet. Mm. Right. When there's a on a photo that's looking at them, you won't even be able to see the chin bar of their helmet. And you don't see their elbows the sometimes bars. either. Yep. Their elbows they're, are right behind their hands. They're tucked in. And uh, DH bikes... If anything, like this whole thing about like you need to weight the front more on these modern geometry bikes. Well, DH bikes have had the front end, front wheel way further out in front for a long for time. For a long time. Yeah, we're just catching up to that <clears throat> on trail bikes. So, and, and it's not like, you know, you have to change fundamentally everything the way you ride and suddenly just lean forward and put your body forward. It doesn't help. No. <clears throat> Instead, and I think that honestly, and with all due respect to the bike reviewers, this, this is just bringing out, uh, you know, weaknesses in your game, so to speak. Like meaning that like your, right. your technique isn't sound and this brings it out. Yeah, right? When I, when I read that, I'm just like, wow. Okay. I'm not going to read this review anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Cause this guy doesn't ride the way I do. And, and so our, our worlds don't, don't overlap like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my point is get low. And when you're, when you're putting energy into your bike, you're getting low. 
right? Mm-hmm. You're hinging deeper. Yep. You're going through. And when that's happening, oh, Tucker's pulling up a, a picture right now of him just like tucking, but you can see yeah. these yeah. guys are so good at getting low. Um, so Tucker will put that photo into the forum. It, it's, it's, it's much more of a low thing. And I love that of when you're, you know, when you end up putting magnifying your weight through G forces through a turn. And when you're rowing and anti rowing and making those shapes, it is more weight. It is more weight. You told me one thing yesterday that really stuck with me. You said um, I had to take control of my bars or take control of my front wheel. And it's not, that, right. you, it's yeah. not that I wasn't – it's not that I was unweighting it correctly. It's that I wasn't utilizing the rest of me with the front wheel. So it's not that I put more weight on the front wheel. It's that just that I picked and choose where it goes and how it's weighted. Right. Like when you went into holes or down backsides like um, – the first run, and mm-hmm. that was fast, honestly, way mm-hmm. outside the bell curve again. Um, you were pumping well, but you were pumping in a flat way. Yeah. So you would like your bike would go like like land flat out in a hole maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was trying to, and you picked it right up. Like I wanted you to anti-row or push the front end into those into those shapes. And I think that's what the reviewers, I don't know what they're trying to say. Yeah. But that's that's the way to utilize your front wheel correctly. It's not that you just carry more weight over your front wheel. It's that you use the front wheel when you need it. Yeah, and, and there's a difference between weight and power. Mm-hmm. So body, you know, weight is just um, technically the you being pulled to the center of the earth, yep. right? <laughs> um, I use weight a little bit more colloquially in the way, and it, it just any generate any force you put into your feet. Mm. Like, like I would mm-hmm. consider that to be weight. If it goes from your body down, I, I, call, I would just call it weight. Mm-hmm. Um, um, no, I'm sorry. Time out. Like, like 9.8 meters per second squared, right? Um, body weight in the feet. Yeah. Now, that's, that's what body weight is, period. Mm-hmm. Um, power is this muscular energy of, of, of exerting force in some direction. So if you exert force into your feet, you have weight and power. Yeah. Right. Here's a rule for you. We should never exert weight into our hands. We should exert power. Yeah. Big difference. That's, that's perfect. That's, oh, that's exactly. That's a really good way to describe it. That's a good, that's a good way. To be. <clears throat> He's so good. I know. I was just thinking, I'm like, I want you here like every month. I know. I don't fun, want right? to leave. Well, oh, I was just thinking we could have you for maintenance. Like we need tune-ups just like everybody else, right? We could yeah. just have you around. The next thing I want to do is a cross oh, yeah. session. I'll be awesome. We, yeah. Because... It's the same things, but in my mind, I, I haven't made the, well, I've been on my crossback for a while, but I haven't made the connection, right? Yeah. But it's the same. Oh, that'd be so fun. It's, it's the, the same, same thing, right? Same principles with high seat. So that means high hinging only, no uh-huh. low hinging. And um, and then your reach is different, right? By the way, like um, I did this class the other day and we had some A's in there, like some f- good riders. Yeah. And someone asked, hey, are you on the hoods or the drops? And I turned to like the main you know, serious dude. And I'm like, what do you do? He's like, I'm always on the hood. And I was like, what? And so we got on the pump track and did some stuff. And I was like, try the drops, dude. And I kind of showed him about the core and the lats. Uh-huh. And he was like, oh my gosh, this is a whole different level. Because it allows more leverage. It allows more um, in- core engagement. Like, yeah. and, and like we've talked about the optimal distance between your hands and your feet and mm-hmm. how that relates to your body. Maybe we'll do that now. Yep. Um, when you're in the drops, like you're closer to that. And my quote road bike, which is a 33 pound steel touring bike with racks <laughs> and fenders. Um, when I'm in the drops, it's really close 
close to my mountain bike setup. So mm-hmm. if I want to sprint, because <laughs> I'm competitive, I'm an idiot. Yeah. So if I, if, I, if I end up in a group of roadies, I got to do something. Oh, yeah. Right? Got to. For, for 30 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but, that, that, um, but just as a, as a data point, like the handling of the bike is, is, is much, the amount of power you have to lay into a trail yeah. is a lot higher on the drop. So I just got an email from this guy. His name is Omar Dickinson. He's really good age group dude and races fast. And he said, he's just been experimenting with it. It's a whole other level. So we would do the same stuff, but with more limited range of motion, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the last thing I want to cover on this, uh, is so, so first of all, I, I got a new bike this year. I got the SB 150. They changed the reach right from the, I was on the SB 55 before, so I had to, I busted out the old, I dusted off the trig, uh, upstairs is probably entirely wrong. <laughs> and, uh, and I started going through and, and, and looking at what setup I needed to get mm. basically because <clears throat> man, there's so many things that affect where your hands go. Right. So you've got the reach of the bike, you've got the stack of the bike, and then you've got the spacers that you have. You've got your head angle that also ends up affecting all of this. You've got the stem length. You've got the rise of your bars. You've got the roll of your bars, right? Or and I would then, call that setback, which is the distance of your hands behind the stem clamp, which is a number that kind of comes up in motocross. It totally is. That's but, how but, we all buy our handlebars based on that figure basically alone and upsweep, but basically that it, that's it. Right. Right. Um, so all of those things affect where your hands go and, and my brain broke a bit and, and <clears throat> so I got the bike and I was like, I think I need a 35 millimeter stem instead of going with, you know, a 50 millimeter stem. So I got this 35 millimeter stem. And then, uh, I got this weird like bike seat thing for my son and it ended up raising that stem up and it's just not, it didn't feel right. So I went to a 50 millimeter stem and I'm like, I can't really tell if it feels better, but I kept feeling these moments where when I was rowing and anti-rowing over a jump or something else, I have a lack of tension and control at different points. Right. When I'm going through the sine wave, there's interruptions where there's like a lack of tension, right? Or or engagement would be a better word. Engagement. Yeah. So I have this lack of engagement and yesterday we did something really cool at the end of the day. I was like, I need to find, cause when you stand on your rip row, we set the height of the handlebars, you know, with like a, with a clamp basically. And we find the ideal height and it's not an ideal height where we have a lot of like, we can shrug our shoulders freely. It's where it's, they're like locked down. It's where they're locked down. Right. So we measured that and then we measured my bike. And we found out that it was wrong. You had, I have a whole book on this dialed, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, dialed, um, a book and ebook that about my, I have a, I've been on this a while now and I have a, I think a pretty good dialed, um, yeah, nice. Uh, Are you uh, saying it's dialed? I, I, it's pretty dialed. <laughs> it, the book is called dialed the, the secret math of the perfect mountain bike setup. Yeah. And, and he, here's the interesting thing. We looked at it and I was three centimeters, three centimeters too long. Yep. And when we looked at myself in a full, like, you know, so then we went back to the rip row and we made it three centimeters too long. And I tried to do the motion. You couldn't, you you were immediately like gagging. You were like, oh, this is not cool. (laughs) It felt bad. Yeah. So, so you, you like, like when you stand up on the bike, right? Like you want to, like when you're making peak torque, you want to stand all the way up and you want to have, and so ideally, right, your arms are straight, like you're holding a heavy Bar, yes, like right? farmer carry, like farmer carry, right? Yeah, and 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 your whole core is engaged and all that, um, and that's what that's the number we found for you. Uh-huh. Um, when your stem's too long, and this like, dude, we're talking like with you is three centimeters. Yeah, we we just we when we lengthen the the lever by 
three centimeters and you go to the, make that peak power, you go into shoulder shrugging yes, my and, shoulders and arm shrug. bending. So like people, that looks like weakness and it looks like, man, I'm getting like a lot of upper trap stuff going on. Mm -hmm. And so for me, as, as sensitive as my shoulders are, if I got demo a bike or I got on someone else's bike, that work that like, that pushes the work up. So then that that you felt, and then when you were in your hinge pulling and pushing the bars, yep. you got like three reps, and you were like, okay, that's okay. Yeah, I did not like it. It <laughs> right. didn't feel right. Yeah, it, it takes the work away from your core into your arms and shoulders. Right? And something hasn't felt right about that bike, and I couldn't figure out what it was, and I've been toying with it and trying to figure it out. So, anyways, with now we're gonna drop the stack, go to a thirty-five millimeter sim, and check it out and see how it works. And I think we're gonna be really close. I think it's gonna be perfect in that yeah. way. And then you mentioned something about like, well, you didn't like the thirty-five because the way it felt in the saddle. Yeah, and that's the tricky thing. So, nerd alert, but bikes are getting more upright seat tube angles uh, because traditionally a lot of mountain bikes had really backward, you know, seat tube angles that put you further over the rear wheel and it made climbing tough. Right. And I've produced more power. I've found in a more forward saddle position. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's good in that regard. Um, but with these enduro bikes that are much more extreme like this, right? Like you have to kind of disassociate those almost like, would you say so? Like, or? yeah. Like the saddle position <laughs> with the hand position. Cause it's like two entirely different bikes that you're basically riding in those. those yeah. The way things. I look at it is like, like instead of maybe the old way would be, um, you set your saddle in relation to your bottom bracket for whatever your pedaling dynamics are. Mm -hmm. And then you put the bars, you, you locate the bar based on the saddle. Right. Yeah. Like I've seen, like, you know, you put your elbow on the seat and your, and your, and your, and your finger touches the bar. Yeah. That's completely valid. You should do that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and, and then you have a certain amount of bar drop, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, no. Like the way I look at it is like, you know, definitely everything people know about their saddle position, keep that. That's important. Mm -hmm. And then we locate your hands in relation to the bottom bracket. Not in relation to the yeah, saddle. Yeah. So of course, like the other end, the top of that triangle, there's a relationship, right? Sure. But that's, that's a result. It's not like a driver. Yep. Um, so, so what I reckon, and you picked this right up, it's like pedaling is hinging. Pedaling happens in a hinge in the saddle too. So if, if when, when all you guys shorten your stem and you go, oh, I'm cramped, I would suggest that you hinge as if you have a longer stem mm -hmm. or whatever makes you comfortable and you bend your arm a hair more. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's all you got to do. Be more arrow that way too. That's right. Right. Those enduro climbs. Exactly. <laughs> Lee, like you, like I've said this before, you, you make... I can see the matrix now after working with you. It's <laughs> that's, amazing. That's pretty rare. Um, <clears throat> well, you have Kung Fu, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like you got downloaded. Like, like Keanu Reeves. Yeah, 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 yeah I, I know Kung, Kung Fu. <laughs> um, but a bunch of people are chiming in right now on the live feed just saying how much you've helped them before, by the way, which oh, is right awesome. On. So, and, and I hope we've represented the majority of the questions with the different things that we've asked here. One person's asking about getting tense in turns, that sort of stuff, and descending. And go back to what we talked about with scalloping in those turns and, you know, placing, you know, that weight and doing the, that stuff it'll the help pogo stick think about a pogo stick if you're yep. turning on a pogo <clears throat> stick it's impossible but if you're yep moving it's so much better so go back and check that out lee thank you so much you're um, welcome it was where, fun where can people follow you find out more about you do that sort of stuff lee likes bikes.com is a good place to go and then we're on facebook uh, lee mccormack on facebook but um better is lee likes bikes on facebook yeah and if you want to nerd out in a pretty significant way um well, we have a, a, an online school at llbmtb.com, and that has the full fit system, including calculators to model your bike before you buy it Ooh. to make sure it fits you, and it has the full skill. All, everything we talked about in detail with videos. Sweet. Yeah. Awesome. Thank uh, you, Lee. 
You're yeah, welcome. Super man. fun. It's been awesome having you. Thank you so much. Uh, and if you are listening to this podcast, uh, first of all, if you're watching live, give us a thumbs up on YouTube. That really helps. And that way more people can see this video and more people can get faster, increase the shred quotient of the world. That would be yes, awesome. Exactly. That's my mission. <laughs> That's yeah. And you're doing it. Uh, and then also if you're just listening to this podcast, share it with your friends, submit your triathlon, cycling, mountain biking, whatever questions you have to trainerroadcom slash podcast. You can go there and submit them on a form. We'll see him next week and then we'll be recording. Nate, you won't be here next week, um, but we'll have, uh, we might have Pete jump in. Uh, we'll see how that cool. goes. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but we'll have a podcast here next week, Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific, and we're looking forward to having you all here. Lee, thanks a bunch, man. You're welcome. Yeah, it's you're always the, fun. You're the best. Yep. We'll talk to you all later. <laughs> see ya. Bye-bye. <laughs>